Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights, conversations exploring network transformation through interviews with industry experts. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from the SDN NFV World Congress in The Hague, and I'm delighted to be joined by Ramesh Sriraman, General Manager at HCL Technologies. Welcome, Ramesh. How's it going? Yeah, thanks. It's been good to be here. So Ramesh, this is your first time on Chip Chat. Why don't you go ahead and just give a little bit of background about yourself and, and what your role is at HCL to get us started? Sure. Um, so firstly, HCL is a global enterprise with uh, 7.3 billion revenue and we are having global presence. And uh, we are number one um, engineering services outsourcing organization for many years in a row now. And uh, the kind of um, verticals and uh, focus that we have is varied, but I'm particularly part of the telecom vertical within that. And uh, to deep dive into that, I'm heading the center of excellence team, okay. focusing on SDN NFV, network analytics, and 5G areas. And um, now you guys have been working for a long time in terms of delivering NFE technology to the market. Can you tell me about where your focus is and um, how you're seeing um, carriers adopt that technology today? Yeah, just stepping back a bit, we have been uh, in the telecom domain for 23 years now. Mm -hmm. And so we are looking at this physical to virtual transformation in all its glory, right? And so from SDN NFV, since its inception last six, seven years, we have been part of these um, industry movements and how it's laced with open source programs and not just the standards alone. So we, we've been uh, participating in these. And um, um, given the pedigree of um, the telecom legacy networks that we have, it's very opportunistic for us to you know, transform this to the new age of technologies mm -hmm. with the cloud native networks coming in the near future. So we understand this whole uh, spectrum and we have got accelerators, solution accelerators that help the OEM customers and the telecom service providers to jumpstart their programs at different layers. Mm -hmm. I would like to double click on some of them later in the chat. Super. Now what I've heard from um, some operators here this week in The Hague um, is that we're hitting a moment where, you know, maybe they started with NFT deployments around a singular core network workload. They got that function running. They got comfortable with the technology. Now they're thinking about doing things a little bit more holistically, doing things like turning on automation of services. And they're realizing that the technology needs to mature a little bit. Yeah. Um, Tell me about how HCL views that and, and what you're doing in terms of delivering new innovation in that uh, direction. Absolutely. So I think, um, yeah, the initial focus uh, has been around the infrastructure, like OpenStack has been a program that's kind of evolved through multiple years now, and it's seen as a robust and resilient platform for telco-grade uh, deployments. But when you navigate your way up to other uh, layers, from uh, you know the ONAP kind of program or ODL kind of a software controller and other parts of the game it's still evolving so there is no one single um, you know standard that is defining these in an automation point of view mm -hmm. because the standard interfaces are still being uh, evolving in the HC space and there are open source programs that take a different route and start implementing them 
so there is a little bit of a tussle going on in terms of standards come first or the implementations go first mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of uh, still evolving i would say but at hcl we have been focusing on um, the infrastructure validation and the vnf certification programs and the onboarding of multiple vnfs on a target nfvi Mm-hmm. and we are the certification partners for one of the leading uh, isvs uh, vmware mm-hmm. and we have certified more than 74 vnfs in wow. this program that's fantastic and so we yeah we understand the complexities that go into it and the kind of um, um you know the orchestration ability and the d- declarative template driven exercise that needs to be done for um, a complex vnf so mm-hmm. what we see happen in the open source uh, Uh, programs is uh, little uh, simple ones which are which are kind of single node vnfs but if you take up a complex vnfs with uh, you know a lot of parameters to configure and the entire life cycle automation needs to be addressed in a declarative fashion i think that is still evolving and we are keen on participating and contributing to that exercise where do you think uh, the end game is when you when you think about where we are today where do you think the industry needs to go and what do you think are the key standard bodies or engagement points that are going to drive um that complexity being addressed yeah i think um see i think um um there is the hc standard standardization in terms of interface specifications that happen now as we speak and they are giving out implementations via the osm program and then there is this thing about tosca versus yang kind of choice of technology on how to do the declarative intents and um, and there is um, also this shift towards uh, a cloud native uh, vnf as opposed to the virtualized right. form of network functions which is also adding a new color to this game so i think it lots of moving parts now and all the people uh, should be converging on something soon so that the industry has the benefit of you know uh, evolving through that but with a firm thing in its place right now that convergence is still missing i guess mm-hmm. and um, we need to wait and watch and see how this evolves from its cl point of yeah. view just wanted to add we are looking at what we can drive here and now with mm-hmm. what is mature and and try to contribute to that wherever it makes sense so with intel we have done the network services benchmarking mm-hmm. a contribution on that tool on top of yardstick in the opnfv which takes the game of performance benchmarking to the vnf services level which has not been there for so long so i think it's it's uh, it's an interesting initiative that intel has put out and we are glad to be part of that and we are trying to add uh, additional layers of um, cognitive intelligence on top of that so that we can uh, we can troubleshoot issues quickly and mm-hmm. faster with an analytics driven approach i want to spend some time on that later on as analytics practice in this chat So I I'd like to go there right away because that's an interesting topic. Um obviously understanding performance of any given network workload is really critical especially when you want to have an apples to apples comparison about um what's happening across um the network domain. But you're you're talking about um integration of AI and advanced analytics into um an approach on looking at what's actually happening in the network um that seems like a new area of development uh from this 
ecosystem in general. What is HCL doing and why do you think advanced analytics and a potentially con cognitive analytics is important? Yeah, absolutely. So I think first thing to note is um, the kind of service assurance um, platforms that been there in the industry. Um, they're not going to be serving as the base platform for you to build on because for SDN and FV networks, the kind of telemetry data that gets pushed out from the infrastructure layer to the VNF layer is requiring us to put up a fast data platform that that is going to collate all these data and make the prepared for analytics workflows on top. And um, so the AI platform in on top of it is going to be looking at the first level algorithms of anomaly detection or pattern detection that you want to watch for for the key falls falls that you know of as false signatures from the past and we are going to be adding a cross layer correlation algorithm which looks at what is the possible root cause of a particular issue that we are seeing in mm -hmm. the network services kpi layer and how it is correlating it down to the layers below and that kind of intelligence can be achieved by the modeling and the AI techniques that we use. And um, at the end of it, we come up with um, either an insight that can help in troubleshooting or we can come up with a recommendation for an open loop or a closed loop automation action that can be taken against that. So this uh, AI engine that we have as network AI engine is very customized for this particular modern networks mm -hmm. and the kind of telemetry data that we can get and the ins and the correlative patterns. There are lots of challenges within that from uh, a traditional AI platform that you see in other parts of the industry like image analytics or video analytics. Sure. It's not the same. Network AI analytics is a vastly different subject because there is no um, training data available and there is no label data. So you have sure. to rely on a lot of unsupervised algorithms. And like I talked about um, uh, layers of algorithms that look at the data to arrive at uh, and validate it within before you recommend an action. Mm -hmm. So that is something that we are developing and we are keen on uh, deploying it into the data, net data from, from the modern networks deployments. So this is not a challenge of I'm going to show you a bunch of pictures of cats and you're going to learn what a cat is. Exactly. This is, we know that there is a problem, but I can't really tell you how to root cause it. Go look at a bunch of data and figure out those connection points yourself. Exactly. You got it. So I think the behavior, behavior that uh, network functions and the network servers is exhibiting has to be learned mm -hmm. first and uh, curated over a period of time and validated. And that model is not going to be static, right? So it's it can keep changing depending on the workload patterns that it is getting and the kind of NFVI layer disturbances that can come in because the faults are not anymore, um, you know, um, it, it can happen at multiple layers. So everything right. is now um, moving and a lot of ecosystem partners contributing into every layer. So it's not a single vendor solution anymore. So it's multi-vendor. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a lot of fault lines across the layers that can possibly throw your systems awry. So I think it's important for us to have this kind of an AI analytics platform that um, gets into the behavioral understanding first and then look at what's changing over, over time and catch that um, and kind of 
um if you will uh, do not raise an event but mm-hmm. catch it before become before it becomes a failure and heal it right and the automation actions like uh, we have in the virtual infrastructure can mitigate uh, to some part of it like you can restart the vnf or you can resize it or migrate it to a different pod or you know spin up new instances scale out so all these automation actions can be done and applied in a proactive fashion so that you avoid the issue if you can catch it early on so that is the game that this uh, nai should perform that's pretty fantastic um sounds like worst case scenario you're dramatically reducing the amount of time that it's going to take an operator yes. to root cause an issue and best case scenario you've got a self healing network and the operator um can then focus in on how to go monetize this network without spending a tremendous amount of time of on-site management of every single network function. That's an interesting point you have there. It's in in the sense of uh, pre-production networks we can do this for troubleshooting and fixing issues quickly and giving a VNF development team uh hey this is what has happened at this point in time and this is how the algorithm sees it as being correlated and they can drill down into the issue quickly and come up with the more um, you know the feature velocity of putting out a fix can be quicker. the second attribute that you talked about is in the production side when you look at how this can be done in a self healing fashion then you obviously get to do uh, the slas to the customers are kept happy and they're they're going and the customer uh, the service provider can actually delight the customers and their nps goes up and they can and and also there is a lot of um, middle paths here like open loop opt- or mm-hmm. automation where you recommend to the knock people or the net devops people um a, a particular uh, view angle and give them a clue if closed loop is not possible at all right. maybe it will take some time to go there but there are lots of middle paths right. that will still give you value to drive down your operational costs mm-hmm. some breadcrumbs if you will in terms of getting on the right path to yes. to actually close the loop interesting stuff um you know one thing that i thought about during that is just this is opening up a lot of opportunities for um com service providers to monetize their networks in different ways. Yeah. Um and to look at um this from a hybrid network perspective as well in terms of how to how to monetize in this world of interoperable uh networks that are that you know maybe a partnership of many companies coming together. Um how do you view that and what is the role of the provider industry in shaping um the opportunity for our collective customers perfect so i think there are two keywords that i that you hit upon one is hybrid and mm-hmm. another is monetization so just want to double click on hybrid so the rip and replace model is not going to be uh, workable for a service provider because of the investments that they've already gotten in so it's a reality that we would have um, existing physical infrastructure plus the virtualized parts of the game kick again to make a real uh, network service come alive and so the hybrid monitoring and analytics that we are talking about should be able to take cognizance of data from the physical networks and the virtualized networks telemetry and synthesize them into a particular uh, service assurance path that mm-hmm. we talked about the second angle that you talked about is monetization which is you know you expose the capabilities of the network that you have got with the programmable networks and intent driven networks that you have as capability and the main path is to kind of um um 
come up with an API layer which which kind of exposes these capabilities and help them be monetized. And so the API uh, monetization building blocks that we have or we, we are having as microservices implementation done for API exposure on top of our capabilities um, is super important for that because you need to be um, allowing the privileges of who can access what and what level of granularity the APIs are and what's the kind of um, charging and billing that you need to do with that kind of uh, access that you're giving. So I think this layer is still being, uh, uh, you know, evolving from mm -hmm. the point of uh, API monetization. It has happened in the other world, but when it comes to the telco world, I think it's still being, um, you know, the 5G and the 5G use cases that we're talking about with an application ecosystem that's going to, uh, come up in a more dynamic fashion. I think these parts will be, um, you know, evolving. And uh, we are well-placed to catch on to that opportunities because we understand the the APIs and the standardization efforts that go into, um, you know, the network exposure, uh, NEF APIs that 3GPP has. And uh, we are looking at um, this microservices building block that I talked about for API Gateway. And um, so we, we have the building blocks and the Lego bricks to serve this. And that's been a key point of uh, our, um, you know, IP uh, route, which is to to have all the building blocks for uh, softwareization and application modernization and cloud and analytics that we have in HCL. Uh, for serving many industries, not just telecom, but we have those internal uh, IPs which we put to use for telecom domain as well and drive the SDN NFV assets. So we have the, um, you know, the deployment and maturity of the generic assets which are horizontal and uh, which which come to us for use from uh, SDN NFV telco point of view, and we apply it onto this domain and stand up our IPs relevant to TSPs and um, OEMs alike. Very interesting. Um, Ramesh, thank you so much for being here today. It's been a real pleasure talking to you about all of these topics. One final question for you. Um, if folks want to find out more about what HCL is doing in this arena and find out about the solutions you're delivering in market today, as well as where you're investing um, in further innovation um, for tomorrow, where should they go for more information? Yeah, so it's there in the website, www.hcltech.com slash telecom. Fantastic. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. Today we're at SDN NFV World Congress in The Hague, and I'm here with James Feger, General Manager of Service Providers at F5 Networks. Welcome, James. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. So first, your first time on Chip Chat. Why don't you spend a bit of time introducing yourself, your background, and um, your current role at F5? Oh, thank you. So I joined. I actually joined F5 recently uh, back in July. Part of that, I'd spent my entire career in the service provider space, um, working for a large international tier one provider, variety of roles. I, I, I worked in operations. I ran their network architecture teams for a while. I've had IT roles. Uh, and most recently, I was running all of the uh, virtualization development at that, at that carrier. Um, 
I joined F5 uh, as the general manager of the service provider business. And the priority here is, is to make sure that we're developing solutions that help advance the service provider environment. And, and that's actually what I wanted to talk to you about today. You know, the, the themes at SDN and FU World Congress are obviously around transforming the network, um, the oncoming path of 5G, the, the emergence of the edge. But ultimately, this comes down to a business decision of how does this new technology offer different ways to address customer requirements yeah. and um, how do service providers respond in terms of delivering their business in new and innovative ways? What do you think about when you think about um, the trend around virtualized networks in terms of that opportunity for a service provider? Yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of debate and discussion even at this show around what what does virtualization mean to the to the service provider? What have we actually realized in terms of the promise that that you know came about a few years ago and all of these different shows and standards committees that have developed ideas? Um, my, my belief really is that the ability to automate and run your network more efficiently and efficiency has a lot of meanings, whether it's, you know, cost efficiencies or serviceability to the customer or, you know, reuse of hardware. There's a lot that goes into that, but my belief is really it's automation and efficiency and being able to serve the customer and do that more effectively from a dollar investment perspective. And where do you think providers are holistically on that pursuit? Yeah, I see a variety of, of states of deployment. I see some that are honestly just now really starting to, to grasp on to the potential. I see others that have been pioneers in the space for many, many years, and they've, they've, they're already on you know, generation two or three of their architecture. Um, and some of them are um, at a state in between where they're, they're saying maybe maybe we'll run with this for a while like it is in the traditional networking sense, and then we'll slowly start adapting to, to virtualized service offerings. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is who are, who are their competitors? Who are they competing against? What kind of customer are they trying to serve? And then, and, and then frankly, just the size and scale of their development teams. Mm -hmm. When you look at that, um, that uh, range of deployments, what are the types of services and customer requirements that are necessitating more aggressive action towards virtualized network alternatives? Yeah, I think, I think we're seeing a, a strong push at the edge, a really strong push at the edge, particularly in the, in the customer premises equipment. You hear a lot around the universal gateway uh, or virtual CPE where they're maybe hosting uh, customer premise functions inside of the telco cloud. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the other thing is, is, logically that makes the most sense uh, in, in areas to deploy. Uh, one, because of scale, and two, because that's really the highest touch point for the service provider. If you're thinking about offering some sort of uh, managed service offering to an enterprise customer, doing that at the edge, doing that to the closest touch point of mm -hmm. that end user makes the most sense. It seems like that's where you're going to actually differentiate the value of those services in the most acutely and visible way to the customer rather than, you know, some core network function that may or may not be transparent directly to the customer. Absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. The, the, the thing about virtualization, which is kind of interesting is I've come to the conclusion that your customer, the end user, when I, I say the end user, so you have service providers and then you have the end users that are consuming those services. 
the end user may or may not actually care about how the technology is being delivered. Mm-hmm. They just want the service to do exactly what they've asked for at a cost point that they're looking for. Right. And they want the flexibility, you know, to, to quickly change those things as they need them, have it grow with their business. Service providers have realized that doing this virtually probably makes the most sense because it gives that cloud-like experience to network functions. Um, so I think you're spot on. That, that, that makes the most sense. That's the spot to do it. And, and honestly, from a scale perspective, technologically, it's, it's probably the thing that is also most achievable in a, in a shorter time frame. Now, you've said two words um, in this conversation, virtualization and automation. Are those two things um, different or uh, replaceable in your mind? They, they absolutely are different. Um, if, you deploy, if you deploy network functions virtually and you don't take the time to automate those functions and you're simply manually pushing virtual services onto another piece of hardware, you haven't really accomplished the efficiencies that I spoke about uh, a few minutes ago. Um, however, the opportunity to build automation into the platform as you're developing a virtual infrastructure is much greater than if you are trying to go and bolt automation onto legacy networking deployments that have existed for years. What is the provider um, community's role and F5's role in particular in helping providers deliver this acute value to their customers and in so doing, open up new monetization streams to their businesses? Yeah, that's a great question. The you know, service providers, and, and again, that's, that's my background. That's where I came from. Um, that community has always, always sat right in the middle of the data stream. Mm-hmm. All, all, all of eternity, that's what they've done. They've delivered the bits from point A to point B or from one point to multiple points. And as they're going through this transformation to become more than a pipe provider, uh, which, which is something every service provider wants to be, they want to be more critical to those end users. Um, they're realizing the value of already being in line. The end user, the enterprise co- customer, for example, realizes that they already have that relationship with the service provider and as they're moving their workloads northbound to a cloud, and I'm using, for, for those who can't see, obviously, is I'm using finger quotes, you know, to the cloud, that cloud could actually be deployed inside of the service provider network. Mm-hmm. And when you think about geography and distribution and performance characteristics for latency and jitter, um, having it hosted in a network is still achieving that cloud-like function, but not fully distributed, you know, hundreds of thousands of miles away or whatever that number is. Um, I think that role is we're here to serve you. We're already in line and we can actually help your applications perform better. And that's something that F5 is taking to heart and saying, well, in a majority of our deployments, our, our end users have per- traditionally been enterprise companies helping with security, application distribution, policy control. And as those customers are moving northbound into the service provider environment, we can do those exact same things inside of the SP space. What you're describing about is a um, a potentially a, a, f- a fairly significant expansion of the provider relationship with with their enterprise customers in Absolutely. terms of the types of capabilities. What do you think is needed in terms of changes in the way that um, providers either deploy infrastructure or think about how they package services to achieve this goal? Yeah, I think the the interesting thing for the provider as they as they when I call it evolve the managed services offerings is really what that is. They want to manage the service for the enterprise. And 
as they evolve those, they they have to take advantage of the fact that they are the they are the path to that company. They are the path for those bits. And by sitting in line, they can host those application systems, whether again it's you know some sort of intrusion detection, it's DDoS prevention, it's just application policy enforcement. They can host that in a variety of places in that data stream. They can host it three or four points away from the endpoint. They can host it on-premise inside of that building of the enterprise company. And as they're rebuilding the architecture, I think the key thing to think about is where does it make the most sense for the customer's performance? Mm -hmm. Does it make sense to host it, you know, again, hundreds of miles away, or does it make sense to host it right there on-premise in a wiring closet around the corner? And by virtualizing and by baking in the automation components into that, you can dynamically move those services around as needed to, to achieve the best result. Now, James, um, when you recently moved to F5 Networks, you must have seen something in F5's technology that excited yeah. you about this opportunity. Can you share why you think F5 is uniquely positioned to help with providers' journey towards a- absolutely. the said direction? <laughs> Thanks for that question. Um, yeah, so the, the history of F5 is kind of interesting. It actually started off as a software company back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And we moved into hardware out of necessity uh, as, as, performance, as performance characteristics were, were starting to make the platform grow. We said, okay, we need to get into customized hardware. And I think that's been, the, that's been really the, the winner for us is, is we have some amazingly talented FPGA developers. And coupling the software with FPGAs has been, has been a good run. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to our roots of being native software, the ability to abstract and have virtual editions and, and, and cloud editions uh, of, our, of our product was really interesting to me, especially since the enterprise space is who the service providers are targeting. Mm-hmm. And we already exist in a majority of enterprises, large enterprises across the world. Um, many people don't know this. I was having a conversation yesterday with one of my former colleagues at, uh, at another, at another uh, service provider. And... Um, she asked, she said, well, when did you first have your first, when did you, when did you decouple your hardware from your software? And one of my, uh, my current F5, uh, colleagues said, well, you know, we started decoupled and then we coupled, mm-hmm. we actually decoupled roughly six years ago, seven mm-hmm. years ago. And, and I think one of the things that, uh, we're sitting on is really high performance software that started off decoupled from hardware. Um, being able to run the same image both with our dedicated hardware or separate and already having a, a huge understanding of the enterprise requirements is nothing but goodness for the service providers mm-hmm. as we partner with them. Now, F5 also has a long history of collaboration with Intel, and you're part of the Intel Network Builders uh, program. Why is that collaboration across companies in the industry so critical in this space? Yeah, I think that's one of the things that um, I think is critical when when we when we went down this journey of virtualization, there was this belief that, uh, oh well, you know, there's no there's no need to there's no need to have any sort of reliance on each other from a software and hardware perspective, and all of these network vendors have to just decouple and run on commodity, and 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 that's all well and good. Um, Intel obviously is a huge part of the commodity ecosystem, but additionally, Intel's been a huge part of helping us achieve that performance, mm-hmm. uh, helping us you know, really be able to still deliver high-performing, high-packet processing, high-throughput uh, software while being able to run on commodity off-the-shelf technology. 
Um, additionally, I think as we evolve and we've gone beyond what I call the traditional x86 architecture, white box architecture, and getting into some of the accelerated packet processing, you know, smart NICs, for example, um, that's important because the workloads aren't slowing down in terms of their requirements. The workload requirements are continuing to evolve. They're becoming more complex. And I think as an industry, what we've done is we've, we've done this almost a full circle. We say, oh, we want, we want tightly integrated systems. And now we want fully decoupled systems. Now so we want loosely integrated systems. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the partner ecosystems allow us to do that. Whether you're working in the orchestration space, you're providing VNFs, you're providing hardware, you're you know, providing um, hardware level abstraction for, for some of these software packages. Uh, it's, I think it's critically important to make sure that we're all successful. Fantastic. James, this has been a delightful conversation. Just one more question for you. I'm sure folks online who are listening would like to find out more about F5's portfolio of solutions and engage with your team. Where would you send them for more information? Our website's a great starting point, um, f5.com. We also have a few what I call subcategories that you can go directly to, f5.com slash nfv, for example. And additionally, we're very active on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Thanks for the time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from SDN NFV World Congress in The Hague, and I'm joined by Maury Lynn, Director of Embedded System Products at Supermicro. Welcome, Maury. Hi. Good morning, everyone. Uh, very happy to be invited to join this session here. Um, so, Maury, why don't we just get started? Um, Supermicro is a big company. You make a tremendous breadth of products uh, to serve um, computing environments. What is your role in the embedded system products and how does that fit in with the themes at SDN NFE World Congress this week? I think uh, first of all, people understand that Supermicro have a huge investment on the server technology for the cloud infrastructures. But we also realize the edge computing getting more popular and critical if you need to solve the problem together for the industry. So we decide to make the server technology possible in a smaller form factor. And we bring lots of the SOC-based solution to this SDN and FV show. And we also share lots of the opportunity we want to introduce. And I think this is a great opportunity for Supermicro to let the industry understand. Except the solution inside data center, mm-hmm. edge computing Supermicro also willing to invest a lot with the Intel solution. And that, that really is a great point, um, that the solutions at the edge are really leveraging what we've delivered together in data centers um, and, you know, to fuel... Uh, the the growth of the cloud over the last decade. Um, what is different when you look at edge from a infrastructure perspective in terms of you, know, you talked about uh, more efficient platforms, but what really goes into uh, the design that's unique at the edge? I think uh, probably we can start from the customer pain point. Uh, I think at the edge side, customers looking for small footprint because of the installation requirement. And also the low power consumption become very popular ideas for them. But this combination is very difficult because they probably have to use the SOC based, not the server type. So Intel, I think around 
2012, launching the Centerton SOC-based solution. And there was a time Supermicro stepped in, tried to understand the market demand. At that time, the server and the SOC at the edge side, they bump into each other. But because of the server provided ECC memory features with more core counts, so Supermicro make it smaller. And then this make it possible because data center technology to the field side, you have lots of problems need to solve, such as the thermal and also the performance. So we learned after seven years right now, we approach this market together with the Intel-based SOC on the Xiangd mm -hmm. and also the Demeton. So it's a very great idea, so we like it. And customers also give us very positive feedback because powerful demands about the computing at the edge side is a challenge. So you have to have the strong SOC to deliver to the edge computing. So instead of people using as a gateway to talk about edge computing, from Supermicro perspective, also customer sharing, they believe to help this aggregate computing optimize the workload is a key challenge. If you don't have the server solution at the edge side, you just basically connect the device together only. The intelligence and the AI require the server technology to support this idea. You know, it's interesting that you just took me down a memory lane with um, our previous generation um, Xeon uh, Silverton processors. And of course, we've made some progress in delivering Xeon D with Denver 10. Um, you guys had an announcement this week about how you're utilizing that technology in a select solutions. Can you share that? Sure. Uh, Intel select solution on the UCP, for sure, it's a great opportunity for Supermicro as a hardware company because uh, lots of software vendors are looking for a solutions could be certified first. Everybody want to have the hardware easily to deploy their software on top of that. So we got an invitation from Intel to talk about this program. And for sure, our continued investment on SLC become ideas to make this a platform choice. And Intel Select Solution helps Supermicro to have a messaging to the software partners because it will validate the firmware, hardware, SRLV, and also QAT. Those testing data we finished. We submit back to Intel. Intel also take a look and review. And this because we passed the test result and then also become a commercial items for the industry. So this Intel Select Solution UCP is a good messaging for Supermicro to the software partners. That's fantastic. I mean, the focus is really around making something that's been verified um, to take advantage of all those Intel components that you talked about, whether it's the processor or the QAT technology in this case, um, but also um, that it's easy to deploy. Mm. Tell me a little bit about the stack that you're using with that solution and what you're demoing here this week. Sure. Uh, at the Intel booth here, we are very happy to have a chance to do the live demo with the uh, Versa software-defined WAN solutions. And based on this hardware, we choose the Xeon D A-core version. So that means you are able to do the hyper-threading up to 16 cores. And in this a tiny 1U recommend machines, I have to highlight this adapt is only 9.8 inch. It's allow you to deploy all the edge side for the retail, for the smart factories, and also for the edge computing idea. Most of the time, the SOC-based solutions, they are longer in the rack mount design, but we make it small for print. One new standard with only 9.8-inch depth. So this allows lots of customers, just like a switch-type device, but not a switch. Mm -hmm. It got the SOC as a computing inside, and also with the software on top of that. And that's the beauty of this part, yeah. Now, what's interesting about UCPE is how many different devices it really replaces uh, within um, a customer presence or edge location. Can you tell me about the legacy infrastructure that is currently being used that actually can be delivered through this one UCPE box? I think this is a very great question. Uh, UCP and the U uh, 
UCP and also the CPE actually they serve the same purpose.、Mm -hmm. But the UCP was because it's become universal form factor. It's idea behind because all the function has been virtualized.、Mm -hmm. So you can through the VNF, the virtual network functions such as the V router, V firewall, and those kind of features. In the past, you have to dedicate hardware. That's why the CPE form factor in the past. But to make this UCP possible. Hardware just one row. You got to drive the virtualization on top of that. That's why the Intel Select solution UCP plus the software partner make it become affordable and also very、um, easy for the customers to utilize all the solutions. So I think、uh, UCP become a very good idea to drive this SD WAN. One of the business case we choose is SD WAN for the security appliance,、mm -hmm. but this could be lots of choice on top of this UCP. So we like this idea because we can stay on our strong footprint at the hardware side, and let the software partner join this journey. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now you mentioned a lot of Intel technology quickly, so I want to、uh, break that down a little bit. You're leveraging the the Xeon D、uh, processor as well as QuickAssist technology. Why are those important components for this particular solution? Yes. So、uh, every quartz in this application matters because the software partners they count on the CPU performance to drive their values. So if you have the QAT, that means you can offload the computings from the CPU,、mm -hmm. and for the encryption and decryption, QAT of different performance. I think also、uh, the QAT is not the first time integrated into the SLC. At the Demetons, okay, actually the previous generation C2000, there is already a Demet、uh, QAT integrated inside, but the、mm -hmm. performance of 5G, and then this generation on the Demeton is up to 20G, yeah, and also the Xeon D up to 40G, even up to 100.、Mm -hmm. So different configurations, customers and the software partner need to know how to use this QAT technology to offload their CPU loadings, and customer told us they are very happy because、mm -hmm. in the past the discrete card. Actually, it's another cost factor for them, but because put into the SLC, they solve two problems. First, it's not just about the cost, also about the availabilities. Because in the past, you have to wait for the QAT card, but now when you order a system from Supermicro using Intel SLC solution, the QAT has been embedded inside this chip, and also long availabilities. So lots of beauty and customer really like it. So, Maury, I know yesterday was a big day for you. You spoke at the Intel Network Builder Summit. You announced this solution. You also、uh, were recognized、um, as part of the Intel Network Builders、uh, Winner Circle Leaderboard for、uh, the deep engagement with Intel in the Intel Network Builders program. What has the response been from、uh, folks at the show and customers back home in this new UCPE solution? And what is next for Supermicro in this space? I think first of all, we want to say it's really honors because、uh, network industry in this、uh, in this industry has been solid drive lots of community change, and Supermicro have a strong footprint in the data center, but、mm -hmm. we also care a lot about the network transformations. So. We start to listen to the customers what、uh, things they are expecting for the next next generation computing. We choose one example could be five G, could be other topics, but all behind it's about how to solve the computing and latency stuff. So because of this idea, after the UCPE, we pay attention to another possibilities:、uh, how to make this small appliance much more powerful and then more flexible. So we immediately encounter two challenge from the field side. Customer tells us. Is there a possibility to support two FPGA card in the one U appliance and have a front access with a redundant power supply? Our answer is yes. We announced already yesterday, 
and not just about that. So another customer they're expecting because of the network transformations, they want to configure their network appliance in a more trendy way. What does that mean? That means <laughs> it got to be the off-the-show solution. Mm -hmm. People don't want to be the vendor lockdown type. Everybody wants to have the off-the-show solution, quick time to the market. So we offer a one-year appliance support up to 37 networking ports. And there's a four modules inside you are allowed to configure it with the 10G performance building because it's all based on the Intel SOC Xeon D solutions. And we also including uh, the EDSFF. It's an enterprise data center small phone factor flash allow you to use the high I.O. bandwidth to drive the virtualization. And we also integrate wireless communication into this one new appliance. So to us, we look at the UCP in a different way. The more power we put into these machines, the software ideas could be easily deployed and faster to the market. So we're expecting the more opportunity coming back to us. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Maury, for the time today. I know thank that you. this is a busy conference. I'm sure there's lots of customers that want mm -hmm. to be talking to you about these new designs. Um, one final question for you before you go. Supermicro has a breadth of solutions uh, for network transformation beyond UCPE. I'm sure folks online will, would like to understand the whole portfolio. Where would you send them for more information? Right now, um, we have a lots of uh, possibility to use the Intel Select Solution landing page inside Supermicro. So you can visit the Intel Select, Intel Select Solution UCPE page. And at that page, we have a bunch of the white papers and also about the performance benchmark and also the idea about the product we talk about today. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for the collaboration on the solution. And thanks so much for being on the program today. It's my honor as well. Thank you. Welcome to ChipChat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from the SDN NFV World Congress in The Hague. And I'm very excited to be joined by Renu Navali, Senior Director of Network Industry Enablement within our Network Platforms Group at Intel. Welcome, Renu. How's it going? Growing great, uh, Allison. Thanks for having me over on ChipChat. You know, I, I was surprised that we could get this interview set up. You've been a busy lady at SDN <laughs> NFV World Congress. Keynote yesterday, keynote today, a panel later today. Um, it just kind of expresses the importance of the show for Intel in terms of the work with our network e ecosystem and comm service providers. Um, it does. I think um, we are the technology provider to a lot of uh, these networking solutions that get deployed across the network. Uh, and we work closely with our entire ecosystem and the service providers to make sure that our technology is consumable by them. While well, you've been out speaking in the halls of the Congress, I have been talking to a lot of folks on ChipChat about mm -hmm. the themes from across the industry and the provider community on where we are with network virtualization. And I did have some questions for you um, about what I've been hearing. Mm -hmm. The first one is the evolution of the capabilities of virtualized networks and a common theme around automation of NFE and um, development of new types of orchestration capabilities for networks. Tell me about Intel's perspective on this and, and why this is such an important trend right now. 
Uh, sounds good. So, so when I think of the network, you know, from the device to the cloud, um, I think of it as distributed compute infrastructure. I think of it as distributed data centers uh, across the network um, at different locations. Um, this allows service providers to determine, you know, which is the best location for them to, um, you know, host some of their virtual network functions, as well as additional services and applications, depending on, you know, key requirements of bandwidth, latency, security, um, and connectivity, where they want to place these different workloads across the network. And with our, uh, you know, portfolio of you know top to bottom scalable consistent architecture we have you know we have a very rich portfolio of hardware software and platform ingredients that they um, that our ecosystem and our operators can use to um, define and design these platforms across the network now each of these platforms are you know nodes of that has compute network and storage mm -hmm. um, they're all involved in you know moving packets faster they're storing more and they're processing you know all the information or the data but just designing these platforms to be perfect configurations of compute storage and network is not sufficient. You need to have kind of an overlay of orchestration, an ability to do zero-touch provisioning, an ability to do services kind of on and off, like being able to onboard a particular service or take off a particular service. You need to be able to have you know, self-healing networks or self-learning networks. And all of this is kind of an important overlay on top of, you know, the distributed data center-like platforms across the network. And what we're seeing in the industry is that that, that is actually one of the most challenging aspects. Um, we, have varying we have varying standards mm -hmm. um, in orchestration. So one of the call to action actually from an, one of our operators earlier this morning was, hey, we need to converge more. We need to reduce fragmentation in our standards so that we can you know, quickly horizontalize on a specific standard for orchestration. Um, we need to, you know, also for automation, it's not just a technology solution. It's also a cultural and business solution because they need to, um, they need to almost evolve their organizations, their billing systems, their support systems to be able to kind of deal with this fully automated zero touch provisioning um, or massively orchestrated um, transformed um, network. You know, it's an interesting thing in listening to your explanation. You know that my background is in compute data centers. And what you've described in terms of that um, endpoint vision um, is really the transformation that we've seen in the data center arena over a decade. Mm -hmm. Now, we've introduced this to the comm service provider industry basically on fast forward. Mm -hmm. First, virtualize your workloads, then automate them, then make them cloud native, mm -hmm. and do that in a, a very short period of time. How are the providers managing through all of these transitions that are going on concurrently, and what is Intel and the industry's role in ensuring that they can make this, quote unquote, fast forward mm -hmm. evolution of technology? Um, you, you said it really well, Allison. I think um, we have introduced 
the these cloud technologies. First of all, the reason our operator community um, came to Intel, you know, in 2012, was because of our strength and expertise in cloud technologies. They came to Intel and asked for help, as in, hey, you you did this for cloud and enterprise. Come help us in the networking domain. Come help us virtualize our functions. Help us, you know, automate or orchestrate, and then help us, um, you know, kind of move towards cloud native. Um, but we 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 kind of started talking about this in 2012, and uh, when you look at where we are in 2018, um, we I have to say that the industry hasn't been able to move as fast as we would like them to. Mm -hmm. The reason being, it is not easy to just rewrite um, code or systems or software that they've had for decades. Um, it's not easy for them to rewrite it while continuing to maintain, you know, five nines SLA with their consumers. Um, they have to do it in stages, um, and it is extremely challenging. And the challenges have been, um, you know, magnified by the fact that, you know, we have orchestration and automation challenges, and they have also challenges within their own culture and business and mm -hmm. billing systems and others. Um, what we're now also seeing is, um, you know, the, the need for cloud native. And we get a lot of questions from the networking ecosystem or the networking operators as to um, what is cloud native? Would it coexist with NFE? Um, you know, or do we need to completely leave aside NFE and do we need to just move to cloud native? Um, and my, my response is, first of all, they're, they're going to coexist. It's, it's almost as if it's a continuum. Not everything will be virtualized. Not everything can be completely cloud native. There's going to be a um, continuum where you have bare metal, NFV, um, as well as, you know, cloud native type of solutions. So you'll have um, you'll have a mix of all, all the three. And what we need to do as an industry is determine what workloads make sense for it to be virtualized first and which ones make sense for them to be re-architected from the ground up using cloud native design principles so we need to work together you know intel with its rich cloud technologies expertise and background work with the industry to determine hey how do we apply these same principles um, in, um, in in continuing to transform the network to be virtualized cloud ready and cloud native and 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 keep that in keep in mind that um, we have to be patient. Mm -hmm. um, even though we would like for it to be introduced and fast forward, um, especially with the advent of edge and five G, um, it, it is really difficult. It's it's like asking somebody to run a marathon when they haven't. They've just been running a mile or so. Now you just mentioned a few important words. Edge and 5G. And, and when I was thinking about your continuum of computing across this vast area, it, it, it spoke to me about the fact that we're introducing a new concept uh, within workload placement. Mm -hmm. we've, we've often talked about um, workloads either run on-prem or within a provider data center. Mm -hmm. But we're introducing a new focus of location in terms of running at the edge and the edge means different things to different people. Um, I know that this is a passion of yours. Can you tell me your perspective on how you're viewing the edge? Mm -hmm. Why now is the time that edge is becoming such a focus? And 
what are the determinants both from a technology technology feasibility perspective and from a business model perspective that are driving that focus on location-based services? Sure. Um, you're right. This is a passion of mine, and I could I could speak for a, for a whole hour mm-hmm. um, around this. So, so what we're seeing is um, 5G is accelerating the need for transformation at the edge. Um, I think um, the originally a lot of the operators were taking kind of a wait and see approach, but now there's no wait and see. They have to transform the edge like right away. Um, and when we look at um, how we're defining the edge from a network perspective, it's everything from you know the this regional or local central offices or regional data centers, um, all the way to on-premise equipment like SD WAN and UCPE as well as access access equipment such as wireless base stations, even wireline and fixed type of access. Um, and, and this includes also things like radio access uh, node as well. So all of this from a network perspective is what we define as edge. And then recently, a few months ago, we also started to talk to our IOTG brethren, and they look at edge from kind of the devices and things perspective, where they're looking at edge as primarily on-premise equipment. They also look at it as, um, I think they use a couple of other terms, um, gateways or aggregators, or I think fog gateway is one of the other terms that they've used. Um, But in our terminology, most of that just becomes um, on-premise edge compute nodes. And in their case, the on-premise can be a retail store or an industrial factory, um, or another enterprise that's you know trying to do digital security surveillance. Mm-hmm. So we started to talk to them about you know the IoT edge and the network edge, and what we realized was it's almost like a virtual cycle of data creation um, from these you know millions or billions of devices and things that then gets consumed by the the network edge. So what's mm-hmm. a cycle of data creation and consumption? And I think what is again accelerating the edge is the fact that forty five percent of this data, as early as next year, will be stored, analyzed, and acted upon at the edge. So, from a technology perspective, we're looking at hey, how do we how do we scale our um, high performance like Xeon processors to the edge? What are the performance power? And, um, you know, TCO constraints when we put them at different locations with the, uh, within the edge. And what are some of the other platform requirements that we need from a workload um, placement perspective? And all the um, operators, uh, service providers are also looking at if they do invest in transforming the edge mm-hmm. into these high performance, highly efficient compute storage network uh, platforms, what are the types of services, the analytics and AI services or IoT and immersive media services they can host on top of these edge nodes? So from a, from a technology and a business perspective, um, they are willing to invest in the technology um, if they see that, hey, this drives not only their CapEx and OpEx costs down in the future, but can provide kind of a revenue stream um, from the services that they host on top of these um, edge platforms. So unless there's a, um, so the TCO is defined, you know, by a combination of the services revenue 
in conjunction with the investment that they have to make in uh, transforming these edge uh, platforms or locations. Now, you mentioned how much of data generated mm -hmm. out of these edge devices is going to actually be analyzed and acted upon at the edge. Is that primarily a function of latency? Is it a function of uh, concerns around data sovereignty? What is driving the move of those that analytics and potentially some AI capabilities embedded in analytics um, solutions um, that would drive that workload to the edge? Um, it's actually a combination of all of those. So different workloads might have different or varying needs of latency, data sovereignty, bandwidth consumption, um, uh, and connectivity. Those are primarily the four drivers. Um, you may have um, a, you know, need for extremely low latency for some of the use cases like autonomous cars or AR, VR, or immersive media. And then you, you might have very high bandwidth requirements, again, for anything related to media, video, um, and also a lot of the enterprises that have a lot of data want to be able to protect their data by having it on premise. So for them, data sovereignty and security is extremely important. So they'll, they tend to keep all the data um, on premise. So each of these four drivers can determine um, for, for a specific type of workload can determine where in the edge continuum, um, or edge location continuum, you want to place these um, workloads. And so it's a balance of TCO versus you know these um, requirements. And the, obviously, the closer you start to move towards the cloud, the, the better your TCO. It's more expensive as you move further out to the edge, closer to the, um, to, to the devices or the consumer. Now, um, you mentioned earlier that the edge is being accelerated and the, the deployment of these edge capabilities is being accelerated by 5G. What unique nature in 5G is driving that and how do you disambiguate what is edge network deployments and what is 5G technology? Um, I like to think of the edge actually as being the first instantiation of 5G. So I don't really see them as being separate or disparate. Uh, I think 5G is accelerating the edge, but what you when you start to see some of these edge locations come up, um, they could very well be the first instantiations of 5G that are capable of delivering upon the promise of 5G around enhanced mobile broadband, um, ultra-reliable low latency, as well as massive machine-to-machine -machine communication. Uh, but I also like to think of 5G as being much more than just, you know, data um, you know, data bandwidth or latency or machine-to-machine -machine communication. It's also the ability to do zero-touch provisioning, services automation, um, self-healing, self-learning networks for which, you know, network transformation kind of forms the foundation for both edge and 5G um, transformation. When you look at Intel's role in all of this, you've talked about some pretty intense capabilities that are required across this continuum of infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Um, both from a standpoint of delivering on virtualized and cloud-native um, network workloads, but also having the capability to do ser um, services on top, like analytics, mm -hmm. which are quite compute-intensive. Mm -hmm. How is Intel looking at um, the portfolio of infrastructure 
um, powered by Intel um, technology in this space? And how are we working with our ecosystem to ready a host of solutions in the marketplace? Sure. So when I look at the starting from kind of the I kind of look at look at the the whole stack from the bottom up, um, we have you know a rich portfolio of hardware and software ingredients. Um, we have architectural consistency in our roadmap from top to bottom. Uh, from our Xeon SP processors down to Xeon D and um, Atom. Um, we have software libraries that are, again, they can be consistently used across our entire portfolio of um, CPUs. We have accelerator technologies around crypto, um, FPGAs. We have our Ethernet technologies, um, silicon photonics, and, and our um, Optane um, 3D persistent memory for storage of all of this uh, data. So all of this is um, kind of a really rich uh, portfolio of technology assets that can be used to, you know, transform the network, you know, design, you know, multiple locations um, across the network. What we're doing is we're also working with the ecosystem to determine or design um, what would be ideal configurations that can ease consumability of these technologies first for our vendors and OEMs and TAMs, but also eventually for how these can then be um, deployed in our service provider networks. So in order to um, ease this consumability of our technology, um, we've actually launched what we call the Intel Select Solutions. So we have Intel Select Solutions for UCPE and NFEI right now. These are pre-integrated, verified configurations that we have actually designed with our ecosystem around UCP and NFVI that can again ease um, um, consumability um, into the um, into the service provider network um, deployments. Um, in addition to that, we're also working closely with the open standards and open source community to influence these standards to begin to converge more or begin to drive cohesion across these multiple standards so that, again, once again, we can support, um, you know, faster um, um, uh, f industry movement towards um, a fully orchestrated and automated network from, from the devices to the cloud. When you uh, look at what the Intel Network Builders community has created, um, both from a standpoint of embracing open standards-based solutions as well as working with us on these verified select solutions configuration, I know that you have a proud history with uh, building the Intel Network Builders community from an Intel perspective. Um, where do you see that community today, and what do you expect in terms of our work with the community over the next year? Um, so first of all, um, yeah, I have a long history. We, we launched it with 30 partners in 2013, and you were there. Um, and right now we have more than 300 partners. Um, we've been working with them first we to sell on, on the vision of NFV and virtualization. And now we've been kind of moving towards, hey, how do we um, accelerate deployments and orchestration and automation, edge and 5G? Um, but I also see when I look to the future and I look at almost everyone in the in this networking industry is asking for why are we doing this? What are the applications and services that would we would then host or deploy? What are some of the killer applications that we need to deliver upon? Um, you know, to meet consumer expectations as well as keep kind of the OPEX and CAPEX um, down or flat, um, I realized that we as kind of a, as a community might need to 
almost reinvent ourselves to kind of think about um, how do we attract, you know, developers to create these services and applications um, at the edge or across the network? Who are these developers? And if we're truly moving towards, um, you know, a virtualized cloud-ready or cloud-native type of environment, um, you know, do we, are, are our developers cloud developers? Because right now, the cloud developers far outnumber you know, the edge or the network developers, what are we doing to attract that developer community? Because without without the developers, um, I think we will not be able to, um, you know, really generate that rich portfolio of services and applications that can drive business value across the supply chain. So I think as a community, we really need to look at uh, determining, you know, who are these developers and how do we make sure that each of the vendor solutions, um, each of the types of, you know, AP, open API, I, I heard a lot about open API and open interface and open source. Um, it's also important to think about who is consuming them, who mm -hmm. is using them or who is developing on top of all of these open uh, interfaces and what are we doing as a community to attract or reach out to those developers. So I think um, those are questions that actually kind of keep me up at night these days. Um, <laughs> I think um, we've never needed to reach out to those type of developers in the past. I think our developer community persona before was, you know, a network engineer at one of our TEMs, you know, Ericsson, Nokia, or Cisco, or Huawei, um, or some of our ecosystem partners, um, our network builder engineers. Um, and now we have to think about, you know, these hundreds of thousands of cloud developers who could potentially develop on this open API and leverage some of the networking features or our platform features that we use across the network. Fantastic. I think it's a great challenge uh, for the Intel team, especially leveraging our relationships with the cloud developer community from our work with um, those who are uh, in this hyperscale space. Yes, absolutely. In fact, I want to convince some of the our cloud uh, colleagues to see if we can do a joint mm -hmm. um, summit, you know, cloud summit and a comm summit so that we can um, find ways to um, um, attract, you know, the, the cloud developers onto um, the comms as well. Fantastic. I, I can't wait to see that, Renew. <laughs> it's like a, it, it, it's, it seems like a detente moment. Um, <laughs> One final question for you um, before I let you go. Um, you launched the Network Academy, which is an interesting program. Tell me about why Intel is investing there and how that's an important um, opportunity for some of these developers that you're talking about and operators uh, that you're talking about to enhance their skill sets for the journey ahead. So, so I think one of the things that um, we have consistently heard from the service providers as well as our ecosystem is um, um, training for how to use our vast portfolio of hardware, software, and platform ingredients. Um, I think it's insufficient to produce technology or innovations um, just for the sake of it. There needs to be kind of a bigger purpose, so we make sure we answer kind of the why, but we also need to show the community the how, as in, so we need to make sure that we train them on how we use 
how they can use our various platform ingredients in order to create or optimize their solutions uh, and commercialize it. And in addition, how do they kind of open up some of these interfaces or API to attract um, the developers? And I think um, I think it was you were at the Ignite um, conference in Microsoft. I think they had some sort of a tagline around how um, I think it's developers, 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 <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so I think that's so we know what they're focused on. <laughs> yeah. So we need to adopt and adapt that mantra within um, within our um, the networking space as well, and the network academy is just kind of a f is is one of the first steps that we're taking um, towards that. And what we want to do is have more and more developers go through some of the the trainings that we have or the the programs that we have, so that they know how to leverage some of the networking IP or the features they have, so they have um, you know a highly efficient and functioning. Um, transformed um, network as they deliver services and applications to the consumers. Renew, thank you so much for being on the program today. It's always an education. You should be on more more often <laughs> on Chip Chat Network Insights. One final question for you. I know um, that folks probably want to engage with you more, um, mm -hmm. and they probably don't want to wait until the next time you're on Chip Chat. How can they get in contact with you online and engage with your team? Um, first of all, my Twitter handle, it's uh, it's Renu Navale, uh, my first name and last name. So I'm always happy to engage with people on Twitter. Um, I also have a LinkedIn profile. Um, they can search for my profile um, on LinkedIn as well. And um, um, and last but not least, they can always email me at um, renu.n.navale at intel.com. Fantastic. Thanks for your time today. Okay. Thank you, Allison. Thanks for having me on ChipChat. <laughs> Good? Okay. Um, did we cover what you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I think so. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from the SDN NFV World Congress in The Hague. And I'm delighted to have Paul Stevens, Telecom Sector Marketing Director for Advantech, back in the studio with us. Hi, Welcome, Allison. Paul. Hi, Allison. Thanks. Good to be back again. So, Paul, why don't you remind the audience about your role at Advantech and how that fits in uh, with what's going on at SDN NFE World Congress this week? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I'm Marketing Director at our Networks and Communications Group, like you said, uh, and we've got a heavy focus on really building out our e ecosystem uh, with other Intel network builders, and that's really what we're here today uh, uh, and the rest of the week to, to talk about. We've got eight or nine uh, partners that we're working very, very closely with, uh, several announcements as well leading up to the show. So for us, we're really excited to be here to to show some of those solutions to accelerate time to market. Now, you were recently on Chip Chat Network Insights when we were out at 5G World, and you had some announcements then. I know you've had a tremendous amount of announcements uh, this week. 
So what is the big news coming from Advantech this week? I know you've made a number of announcements here. Yeah, actually, yeah. We, uh, for, from our 5G world, it was all about uh, Intel Select Solutions for NFVI, and we presented our initial solutions there. We actually made another uh, announcement uh, this week, and that's about uh, Intel Select Solutions for NFVI, now available in our remote evaluation labs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's particularly important for service providers, integrators, and uh, ecosystem partners. Uh, they can access this new web portal to validate all the performance and functionality of the carrier-grade uh, servers and network appliances in, in a NFV environment. That's fantastic. And I would assume that's really going to help extend the concept of you know verified pre-configured solution, really easy to test and get ready for deployment. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's, that really is the key to everything. It's, 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 it's about uh, allowing uh, on, onboarding of, of, any, of uh, virtual network functions and uh, testing of performance and functionality without really incurring the, the costs and delays of uh, shipping and fine-tuning different NFVI configurations around the planet. Uh, people can log in, developers can log in and, and assess the performance of the platform. That's very cool. You also are talking about UCPE at this show. Tell me about that. Yeah, well, UCPE, we have a, a, a broad ecosystem. We've got very heavily involved uh, in SD-WAN deployments and uh, have actually seven or eight uh, carriers around the world already deploying uh, SD-WAN platforms based on, based on our hardware. Uh, that that's the Atom C2000 platforms and moving on to to Atom C3000. Uh, we're working really closely with a with, a, with a, an interesting ecosystem um, with Versa Networks, uh, Telco Systems, RAD, uh, Capsh, and and One Access uh, as examples, all with various solutions for UCPE. Uh, we had an announcement earlier in September, actually, with NEA about a very low, uh, what we call a slim CPE solution, which is mm-hmm. uh, actually running on two core uh, devices. Um, that's particularly good for uh, SD-WAN in a, uh, let's say, a point-of-sales type of environment, which which is of interest. Uh, we work closely with Sixwind, and uh, we had an announcement, uh, actually, of the show with ADVA, uh, where we announced that we're strengthening our, our UCP partnership uh, with ADVA, and that actually uh, Ensembler's, Ensembler's uh, suites now pre-validated on, on a range of uh, white box uh, UCPs. Uh, and of course, that again shortens time to production for, for communication service providers. Now, pretty exciting stuff. I mean, you, you're engaged with a lot of folks there. UCPE seems to be a really hot topic. Um, why is it such a hot topic right now, Paul? <laughs> and um, where is the uh, demand coming from in terms of looking at the UCP alternative versus traditional CPE um, infrastructure? Well, I think SD WAN really was the, pe- per, the the precursor to everything because because of the the possibilities of immediately visible of of how you can make uh, gains in in your uh, uh, in, internal network. Mm-hmm. So I think you know everybody's got their s- typical standard MPLS uh, connectivity, and this doesn't take that away. You keep that connectivity, but you've also now got the opportunity to to send data over the over the securely over the internet and you've got that alternate route so you don't have to give up your highly secure um, MPLS uh, configuration you can drop it if you want later mm-hmm. on once you're you're sure of how the rest works 
But, but, but I think from a UCP perspective, it's how do you take that a little bit further and have more of a universal platform uh, that can run multiple uh, VNFs and could actually run SD-WAN as a function. And, and that's where we see a lot of uh, traction right now as, as an open platform that, you, that can be used to onboard uh, services uh, on the fly. And actually in the keynote this morning, uh, there was a, a several mentions of universal CPE. It's good to see the Advantech logo up on some of the keynote uh, slides as well. Now, uh, Advantech announced intent to deliver an Intel Select solution for UCPE yesterday at the Intel Network Builders event as well. Um, That's right. What is the the value of delivering a select solution configuration in terms of um, uh, delivering something that uh, your customers will value? I, yeah, I think the the main thing really is is taking the risk out, out of the whole of the equation. And that there are a lot of white box configurations that are out there. And as we move uh, forward, I think this first step with Intel Select Solutions for UCPE is good to have uh, benchmarking and thresholds that can be met for the higher end, because mm -hmm. this really does step us up to the higher end of UCPE for a lot more onboarding of of, of functions. So. So from that perspective, we have, uh, we're showcasing our FWA 3050, which is a Xeon D2100 based platform mm -hmm. here on our, our booth at the show. Um, and as a part of that Adver announcement, uh, uh, Adver uh, announced that, that they, are, they intend to, to port to that platform as well. Fantastic. That's, it's nice to see that uh, transition to the latest generation platforms. Um, when you look at um, the providers utilizing that technology, what are they hoping to deliver in terms of uh, new ways to address customer business, new ways to open up revenue streams potentially uh, for their own business? What do you hear from customers in, in that regards? Yeah, I think it's mainly the, the flexibility that they can put into their network or the, the, uh, the CPE network of the future. Um, obviously, from a, from a technology perspective, we need the headroom to run multiple functions. So that that that's really the ability to do that. Um, but also, it's the, it's the elasticity of the cloud that uh, that a lot of the of the enterprise customers are looking for. So. In some instances, we're going to see very slim CPE devices uh, at the entry level where everything's going to take place in the cloud. Mm -hmm. um, and then we'll see the opportunity to move into more onboarding in the local premises, more applications and more services that can be pushed out to that CPE device and, and give the ultimate flexibility, really. And, and don't forget either that, of course, there's all of the uh, consolidation of, of functions that can, uh, can be run on a platform of that scale where you're bringing, onboarding all of those virtual network functions that were physical appliances before. The progress on UCPE is fantastic, um, you know, coupled with what you've already talked about in terms of um, the engagement with labs for NFEI. What else is um, coming from Advantech that you'd want to highlight today? Well, for, on the UCP perspective, uh, I'd just like to highlight again those partners that are actually here with demonstrations on some of those platforms. Uh, I think that's key. Um, one item on UCP that's, that's really important is zero-touch provisioning, and several of our uh, partners will be demonstrating zero-touch provisioning on our platforms here, here at the show as well. Um, then going beyond UCPE, uh, we, we had an announcement with uh, NetElastic and uh, actually at 5G World there were some demos there using uh, some of NetElastic's uh, 
uh, software. Uh, and and uh, at this particular uh, for this particular event, we've uh, we have an announcement uh, uh, for the virtual broadband network gateway from NetElastic that's actually been validated on Intel Select Solutions for for uh, NFVI platforms, and also on our new Edge server series. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that if you go backtrack a little bit to uh, to Mobile World Congress, we spoke about uh, uh, the development work that we've been doing with Eolo and Sixwin for a v, uh, v router. Yeah, and actually that's the platform that's the result of that, which is now moving to to deployment. Um, and, and that platform uh, actually is, is being announced at this show here today as well. Fantastic! That's I remember for those listening online, you can check out that podcast. Um, from the Chip Chat Network Insights archives, but it was a fantastic example of industry collaboration towards a particular customer requirement. And um, glad to see that solution hitting the market. Yeah, that's getting picked up uh, in a lot of other use cases now. And, and in this particular VBNG, uh, Broadband Network Gateway solution, uh, the platforms incorporate all the capabilities and, and features of, of traditional BNGs along with the next generation flexibility and cost benefits of, a, of a, a vir- an innovative virtualized solution. So. Fantastic. Well, Paul, thank you so much for being on the program today. It's always a pleasure to have you on. And um, one final question for you. Where can folks find out more information about the solutions you've talked about today, as well as um, the lab that you announced um, for the NFVI configurations? Uh, the best place to actually go is our is our microsite uh, for networks and communications. So that's www.advantech.com slash nc. And in the news section, you'll have links to the new sites uh, to uh, and to our remote evaluation services. Fantastic. Thank you so much today for your time today. It was a real pleasure. Thanks, Alison. It's always a pleasure to be here. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming from the SDN NFE World Congress in The Hague, and I've got two gentlemen with us, um, Oren Mamor, VP and head of NFV at Amdocs Open Network, as well as John Volkering, Senior Pre-Sales Systems Engineer and Technical Lead at Versa Networks. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you very much. So why don't we start with you, Oren? Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your role at Amdocs? Sure. So I've been with Amdocs for about three years now. Uh, came from the uh, networking space, different network different providers have been in the telecom space most of my career, and I run the NFV group. Uh, so working globally uh, on developing our offering and, and uh, expediting adoption in the market with most of our customers as much as possible. Now, John, uh, you have a very interesting role at Versa. Why don't you give some background on it and how it relates to the topic today? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, my name is uh, John Volkering. I work uh, as a technical lead, as you introduced. Um, I'm in the industry also for quite some time, um, typically working for uh, for routing vendors, right? So now with this whole NFV thing, you know, I think it's cool to work for a software company as well, and basically still doing the same uh, same job. Um, yeah, where the uh, the partnership is all about is, I think, uh, making the um, uh, you know the go to market uh, the solution uh, easier to um, to to sell. Um, you know, sometimes 
it can become an, a complex IT project, and that's what we'd like to take away with uh, you know the announcement that's been done by uh, by MDocs and Versa. Uh, so let's start with you, Oren. A theme that has been emerging out of SDN and FE World Congress this week is one around advancements of orchestration capabilities for networks. Can you tell me about um, MDocs? perspective on on that and how it relates to the announcements that you're featuring this week so I, th- I think we've been you know an active probably even leader in the orchestration space since since the early days uh, uh, we were uh, the co-creator partner with AT&T around ecomp and domain 2.0 before that became onap and, and that is probably to date still the largest NFV deployment project in the world and definitely the first one but to, to a large extent, what we've announced today started to develop following last year's event. And what we realized that while everyone understands the value of orchestration, and there's a big difference in between orchestration and virtualization. So I think every player in the world today has a virtualization play. You know, mm-hmm. You're virtualizing assets. Virtualization by itself, to, to, to put it very bluntly, doesn't provide a lot of benefits. It's just replacing hardware with software, there's no automation, there's no real benefits in terms of service agility and so on, and we're driving as much as possible towards orchestration and automation. But we also started to realize that for a lot of service providers, this change is too much to handle in mm-hmm. one step. So it's maybe too much to swallow, it's uh, it's uh, too much of a long-term planning, significant investment, and so on. And this is where we started thinking together with some of our partners of rather than target end-to-end orchestration day one, let's start to split it into different domains. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, We're still hoping that we'll see more and more customers start planning for the longer-term vision. But if if that's too challenging for you, whether because you don't have the right skill sets with the, within the organization, whether you don't yet have the uh, corporate support, whether you have budget restrictions and so on, uh, the approach was let's pick a specific domain. I think that most of the industry, if not all of the industry, would agree that enterprise in general and specifically SD-WAN is probably one of the hottest topics today and one of the clearest uh, return on investments in terms of uh, NFV and orchestration. Uh, And we wanted to create a package that would simplify and allow us to expedite the adoption around NFV for that package. I think once that is in place, and we're already seeing that with uh, many of our customers today, it's once you see the operational benefits, the cost savings, the uh, service agility benefits, in your own network, in your own terms, it's much easier to justify further planning and further investment in orchestration. So the announcement this week um, is the delivery of that new capability exactly. from Amdocs. Um, but it also is in collaboration with Risa Networks. John, can you talk about um, your company's role within this solution? Yeah, absolutely. So Versa Networks is an, um, uh, a software vendor of, uh, of SD-WAN solutions. Uh, we have our secure IP cloud platform that basically delivers the, the service. Um, the service is about uh, deploying an, uh, a secure SD branch um, in, um, in customer premises, uh, as well as on, uh, on multi-cloud platforms. Right, so customers they do have an, uh, a VPN desire. Uh, they traditionally take that through, uh, you know, a service provider MPLS VPN kind of services, and the SD WAN thing is really about, um, you know, complementing that with uh, other types of um, uh, technologies such as, uh, you know, internet underlay or LTE uh, underlay, uh, as well as with, uh, you know, s- more self-control. 
and the self-control is really where the partnership is uh, is about. So the um, uh, partnership with with MDocs, uh, basically we uh, uh, we can give the customer a portal where the portal can be you know managed by the end user uh, directly. Um, uh, in order to uh, you know see what's going on in their uh, in their SDN VPN, but also have the ability to make you know changes if needed. Um, uh, SDN is really about uh, you know uh, taking the VPN service as what it is today, uh, complement that with uh, additional uh, 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 capabilities such as the uh, the self control again. Yeah. Oren, you you talked about the fact that this is a great opportunity for initial deployment of right. orchestration and obviously SD-WAN is a hot topic for many reasons right but why did you know that this was a great place to go for initial orchestration deployments? so so actually again while the idea started developing in parallel we also had that this is not started in vain or mm-hmm. you know in, in, in sort of in a vacuum uh, we did start through uh, a very successful project we've deployed uh, close to a year and a half ago by now with, with Comcast in, in the mm-hmm. U.S. Uh, so that was, I think, one of the first projects we've done together. Uh, Comcast uh, Comcast business started with a very clear need to expedite uh, uh, the introduction of VPN services. They were starting to lose market share because of the fact that the traditional IPM PLS uh, VPNs and services were too costly, uh, took too long of a time to deploy. Uh, and, and this is where we joined forces for the first time. We went through a very successful project that was implemented in a fairly short period of time, within roughly six to seven months from the kickoff until production. And it is by now one of the most successful services within Comcast business that is growing at a tremendous rate. And that was a great example where we saw a customer that started with one initial use case. And by the way, as we speak, we are now expanding those capabilities into additional use cases and additional services and broader orchestration and automation. But I think it was a great customer testimonial and reference and great example for if you focus on one you know, specific mm-hmm. use case, that is really driven by the business requirements. And well, what, what the, the service provider is seeing in the field, that could then create significant support within the organization. So that was, you know, for us, probably one of the best uh, uh, proof points for the fact that SD-WAN and Enterprise is, is the right way to go. And again, what we're doing while the package is something we're now promoting to quite a few other customers, it, the, the part of the story is the fact that we've taken a very successful project with one of the largest operators in the world, and we've packaged that into a product that other customers can now leverage and and enjoy the benefits of. That's a tremendous story about how technology innovation can address uh, a challenge from a business perspective as well. Um, What has the response been for both of you at the show um, about this announcement, and what have other uh, providers um, and operators stated about their own intentions in this space. I don't know, John, if you want to start us off with that one. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, it's perceived uh, very well in the uh, in the uh, you know in the market. Um, I think everybody recognizes the the need of uh, you know further streamlining the things that we do in this in this partnership. Uh, together with the acknowledgement that you know SD-WAN as a technology is really emerging, you know we finally got out of you know the experimental phase into the ma- mass deployment phase. So the time for uh, you know uh, end users, uh, uh, also service providers, uh, providing SD-WAN services as a managed service. Uh, from uh, you know lab uh, experimental uh, to uh, you know mass deployment is is really there and uh, you know the market really recognized that 
you know, you need to, um, uh, you, you will only be successful if you take that together with, uh, you know, uh, automation, uh, self-service uh, capabilities and uh, that kind of um, uh, advanced services that, yeah. Oren, any other thoughts on uh, response? Yeah, I mean, it, it's just the first day of the show. We, mm -hmm. we had a great opportunity to expose this to a pretty impressive audience in terms of uh, 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 size and as well as the uh, level of attendance at the Intel Network Builder Summit yesterday. Uh, we've received great feedback so far. I think, you know, I've had a lot of folks approach me later on and say, look, you have a very pragmatic approach. Uh, and this is what we're really what we're trying to do here. Uh, I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the show develops. Uh, I think everyone understands we don't need to sell the story of of NFV anymore. And then, if, as opposed to a couple of years ago, I think everyone is convinced of the fact that this is happening. So it's not about if; it's just about when and how. Uh, we are seeing slower adoption than uh, than any everyone has anticipated, probably a few years ago. And I think that that is as a result of the fact that end-to-end -end orchestration and automation is complex. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, you know, we're getting able to show that this offers a much more pragmatic approach. It's sort of slice and dice. So, right, so let's, exactly. Let's take the first step. If that works well, we can take it up to the next level pretty quickly. Well, and that gets to my next question, which is, okay, we've, we've established this is a targeted initial deployment. When you talk to customers, maybe, you know, like Comcast who's a little bit farther along, where do you see um, providers going in terms of, the next capability that they're looking to orchestrate and what types of services would be that next wave of, of delivery? I think that it's all about adding more and more use cases. So enterprise and SD-WAN is, is the, as I've mentioned earlier, the initial focus for many service providers because A, it's their fastest growing business. A lot of them are not growing as quickly in the enterprise or in the consumer domain or other domains. And it's, it's, uh, uh, it's their greatest pain points. We are seeing this expand into the mobile core business mm -hmm. as well. Uh, and there are a lot of interesting things you can do there. And not just virtualizing the IMS and EPC component, but providing many other value-added services, security, caching, DPI, and so on. And there's no doubt that this is now being tied with the 5G story. You mm -hmm. know, I think with 5G, uh, there is a pretty wide market consensus that 5G will require orchestration and automation. So once you start talking about edge computing, once you start talking about network slicing, the network becomes so complex, so elaborate, so dynamic that without a proper level of automation, you will simply not be able to, to operate it properly nor to monetize it, which is the most important aspect of, of 5G. Well, you know, you, you talked about virtualization unto itself doesn't deliver the full promise of uh, network transformation. To take that step forward and imagine a world of 5G where you're still manually provisioning um, services, uh, you can't, you can't Makes get no sense. The, you can't get there. Um, thank you guys so much for sharing um, the information about this solution on ChipChat. Uh, one final question for you both. If folks are listening and they want to engage uh, more with your company on this solution or others, where would you send them for more information? John, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the best is to visit our websites, www.versa-networks.com. And from there, you will you will find uh, forms that you can fill in to request a demo, request an engagements, and that's uh, that's probably the best way to uh, to move forward. Obviously, uh, you know, if you're on the the show here uh, in the Hague, uh, you can reach out to us for a, a private conversation as well. Fantastic, and Orn? Yeah, same here. Luckily, our URL is a bit shorter, so <laughs> it's amdocs.com. If you go into our website, there's the uh, Amdocs Open Network section, and you can. Uh, 
uh, read all about our partner ecosystem, uh, the latest solutions, the later announcement, latest announcements, as well as we have a live demo here of, of this uh, new, newly announced package here at the show. Well, guys, thank you so much for your time. I know that this is a busy week, and um, it's always exciting to share stories about industry collaboration on ChipChat. Thanks for being here today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Welcome to ChipChat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from the SDN NFE World Congress in The Hague, and I'm happy to be joined by Ignacio Verona, Senior Solutions Architect at Red Hat. Welcome, Ignacio. Hello. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So, Ignacio, why don't you just start with introducing yourself and what your role is at Red Hat? Mm -hmm. So, I've been with Red Hat for uh, two years and a half now. I'm inside a team which is called the Telco Technology Office, the TTO. So we are covering all the accounts and all the service providers in EMEA. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really nice position because we have a lot of interaction with all the ecosystem which is here in EMEA. So we also have some contacts, of course, with our colleagues in, in the US and in, in Asia. So it's a nice position to be up to date on what is happening in the industry. Um, Red Hat is obviously known uh, for delivery of solutions for data center environments maybe not as famous for the telco arena. Tell me about what the focus is from Red Hat and um, for telco and how that relates to your broader portfolio. Okay, so that's true. Red Hat is not or was not super famous when it came to, to, to telco networks. But since the NFV revolution or evolution started, uh, we have a lot of things that we can offer because we can actually offer our OpenStack platform, which mm -hmm. is like the basis. It's just a thin layer, but the most important layer probably because it's where your BNFs are going to be running. And uh, other than that, everything it's based on RHEL. So not only the OpenStack platform, but also your BNFs or the BNFs that our customers will be running can be based on RHEL. And uh, also we have an automation portfolio, which is what we are going to be discussing here today, which is going to make your life a bit easier when it comes to achieving all the agility and flexibility that you need, that you need on the network. So that's uh, mostly what we have. And we, of course, also have storage. We have some other products. But for Tilco, we are usually focusing on that, on virtualization which with OpenStack and with Ceph and Gluster for the storage. Okay. Super. And you, you, you named off a lot of the products <laughs> that many people have heard about. Today's topic is on Ansible and um, how that is relating to automation for network functions in particular. Tell me about Ansible and how it fits into um, the portfolio that folks have been depending on in their data centers for okay. and networks for a long time. So Ansible is really the, the, the single product that you can have to automate everything that you need across the multiple business units that you have in your company. Because you can use Ansible to automate everything from public cloud, private cloud. You can deploy things on OpenStack. But you can also manage the applications that are on top. You can also provision the applications which are going to run on top of your, of your infrastructure. And other than that, which is one of the good things of Ansible, you are going to be using a single language or a single framework to also manage all your network infrastructure. So you can also use Ansible to manage your routers, your switches, everything that you have on your on your infrastructure. Now, I know that Ansible has been around um, for a while, but there has been an update recently associated with how Ansible actually integrates with your OpenShift platform. Can mm -hmm. you talk about that? Yeah, that's also, that's also a great improvement because now you are able to deploy Ansible Tower on top of OpenShift, which 
if you don't know, OpenShift is the enterprise Kubernetes platform where you can deploy your containers. So now Ansible Tower can be deployed as containers running on top of OpenShift. That makes the application itself super easy to scale out because mm -hmm. as soon as you are going to have more workloads, you probably need to manually, or before you had to manually add new workers to the platform. Now with OpenShift, that can all done be automatically. So the platform is going to take care of deploying the new workload, the new workers that you need to manage the, the new playbooks or the new automation scripts. This sounds like a fantastic solution for those providers who are wrestling with, um, you know, I've got some VNFs, I, I want to take some of my workloads as a cloud native deployment and I want to automate all of it. That's it. Actually, usually what we are talking when we talk to containers with our customers, because we know that containers and 5G is really related. So we are talking with a lot of our customers about how to move the BNFs to a container platform like OpenShift. So you should be able to have a single platform where you deploy all your applications, your VNFs, but also your management applications. So that makes, again, your life easier because you just manage a single platform, which is OpenShift in this case, where you can have Ansible Tower, you can have Ansible Engine, which is like the one in charge of executing the playbooks, and you can also have all your applications on top of that. So that's making a lot of sense when you move to the edge, when you start talking about 5G. So it's, it's an interesting option that our customers can use. When you talk to customers, where are they in terms of advancement of deployment of solutions like that? Um, and what do you think are the, the hurdles that we have to work with as an industry with the provider community uh, to manifest the, the ultimate vision of what you're talking about? So the most important thing that we need to talk to most of our customers is the long-term view on their automation strategy. Because, and I will be talking about this on the session that I have on Thursday here at The Hack, but it's not just automating what you are doing now. It's not just imitating or replicating the manual steps that you are doing now. It's having a complete automation strategy, which includes where do you get the information that you need, so what is going to be your single source of truth or your CMDB, so how are you going to manage the information, and how you are planning to modify the way you are working, your processes, to integrate automation. Because probably the <laughs> changing the mindset of the people which is working on the, on the company is one of the most important things. We are not trying to change what they are doing, but we are trying to improve the way that they are spending their time. So probably changing the mindset and making automation part of the of the of the strategy is one of the most important things that we have to discuss with our customers it's not actually the technology itself when you when you look at the baseline of what you're delivering red hat has been always such a great um, proponent of open source what is required of the open source community to continue to push the edge forward in terms of open configurations uh, that can be deployed with confidence. Mm -hmm. So actually that's another of the really good use cases for automation because as, you know, as soon as you are going to the edge, you are going to increase exponentially the number of sites that you have. So you definitely need to have automation there. So that's also one of the use cases that we are looking into. So we are also collaborating on the upstream communities to make the edge a reality. Mm -hmm. And uh, automation is a key part of that. So you are able to have all, that s all your sites like manage in an automated fashion. Like even we have been talking to customers which are using artificial intelligence to make sure that things are working in the proper way. Of course, with Ansible, we are not providing that intelligence, but we are providing the means 
to make the changes that you need in your platform in a super simple way, yet powerful. So from our perspective, uh, working with the edge, it's something key. We are talking to a lot of the customers about the edge and we are trying to put the value of the community because all the innovations that are happening nowadays are happening on the communities and the upstream communities. That's one of the main, I mean, if not the main purpose of Red Hat. We are working with the communities. We are never going to fork any of our products because mm -hmm. that will mean moving outside of the community. So, uh, for example, if we are talking today about Ansible, Ansible is a huge community and a community which is super alive. If you propose a pull request, that pull request is probably going to be accepted in a few hours. So mm -hmm. that's the power of the open source community that if you need something, you can either do it yourself or you can have someone which is working for you because probably they already found the same problem somewhere. So that's the value of the upstream communities. Now, with Ansible Tower, what kind of companies have you um, had success with in terms of driving automation into their network functions? And can you give some examples? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Ansible Tower is the tool that probably you will need to have as soon as you are growing on your uh, automation strategy. Because if not, you will have to run the playbooks from your laptop, which is probably not the best thing to do. You have not logs. You don't know who did that and when. So Ansible Tower is the piece of software that you need to put on top of Ansible Engine, which is providing you an API, which makes it possible to integrate your automation with the rest of the applications that you already have on your on your organization. And uh, it's, it's, it's going to become a key part of your automation strategy. And for example, within, uh, I mean, we have a, a, a success with uh, Swisscom, mm -hmm. which is using Ansible and Ansible Tower to automate I have the numbers. I think they are planning to automate like 15,000 different components, including switches, routers, as part of their strategy. So that's not possible to do without Tower, because without Tower, you will have to run those playbooks from a specific page. You will have no information about what was happening. So this is why putting Tower is so important, and we believe that when you are growing on your strategy, you need to have that. So it's it's the way to, let's say, scale up on mm -hmm. your automation strategy somehow. But it really does uh, bring to bear the amount of complexity that these customers are working with and why automation is so critical. It's actually, I mean, it's starting to reduce the complexity because, for example, using Tower, you can have all your playbooks, the, the scripts that you are going to run with Ansible. You can have them on a version control system. You can have Ansible Tower refresh that information every time that you are trying to execute the playbook. You can define a fine-grained role-based role access control to know who is executing that. So. As you are growing, probably the complexity of your automation is also going to grow, but you need to have that under control. And this is what we try to manage with Ansible Tower. And this is what the organizations are looking into Ansible Tower to try to reduce the complexity while having everything under control. Ignacio, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. One final question for you. Um, if folks can find out more information about the solutions that you're talking about, including Ansible as well as OpenShift, where would you send them for more information? So you can go to our main webpage, which is redhat.com. You will find an Ansible uh, chapter or a part of the webpage which is dedicated to Ansible. And Ansible has really a great open source uh, and upstream documentation. You can check all the modules which are supported, all the different parameters. You can even check the documentation for Ansible Tower, the APIs, everything. So you can either check the redhat.com webpage or ansible.com where you will have all the information about the modules and everything which is supported on, on Ansible. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from the SDN NFV World Congress in The Hague. And I'm delighted to be joined by Daniel Valle, Chief Technologist for Service Providers in EMEA with WWT. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you. Welcome. So, uh, Daniel, why don't you just start by introducing yourself to the audience and talking about WWT's role within the network transformation arena, as well as your role within WWT. Oh, thank you. That's a great question to uh, start with. Uh, my name is Daniel Valley. I work for about um, three years and 10 months in WWT. Before that, I had multiple roles in the EMEA market for the telco community. So I think we, um, when we decided to join WWT for the service provider play, was fundamentally how we can take the lever and leverage the, the, the challenges and the information that we have as a community, the telco community, into an SI, into an integration player in country to help them solve the challenges. Um, that's fundamentally why uh, I started working in WWT, and one of the key um, elements which excited me to join WWT was the fact that we had actually a unique value play in this field because of our integration centers and because of our advanced technology center, we can be, which we can uh, discuss a little bit later. But um, these value propositions, I've not seen um, any other partner in the market actually addressing them, and um, that, that's really excited me to join. Um, so my role, again, is to make sure that I evangelize uh, our customers and uh, in terms of the solutions we can bring to the market. We have a strong uh, partner play, and um, we're very happy to have Intel as one of our key um, you know, players in the market, including the HTC that leverage um, the technology that we have there to support validating solutions to, to this community. So, you know, I think this is an interesting space because WWT is obviously engaged in a number of different arenas when it comes to enterprise and, and um, data-centric technology. But um, the comm service provider challenge of uh, deploying virtualized networks is, is a unique one. Um, the history in this space is is very much... Uh, providing a uh, stovepipe single provider type solutions. Um, moving to NFE represents a move to a multi-vendor industry approach. And WWT offers some unique opportunities there. Tell me about your perspective on that and um, what you've heard from your customers as they've looked at new infrastructure deployments and, and the types of challenges that they're having with choosing the right configurations. Absolutely. That's a great question. So um, <clears throat> to your point, is it absolutely fundamental that we have virtualization expertise? We've been here in the panels this morning from Dodge Telecom, Orange, and Verizon. How important it is to merge the telco world with the virtualization world? and how little knowledge the telco world actually has in understanding virtualization and cloud. So merging these two environments together is paramount to their strategy. Where we play a role in this game is uh, we've do, been doing this for a number of years. Uh, WWT is uh, in the market for nearly 30 years now, but in the last 10 years we've moved from more of a um, standard VAR into em embracing the world of uh, a system validation through the Advanced Technology Center. Um, we uh, that's not long ago when I was when I joined um, two years and uh, ten months ago. We had one data center which was not even fully uh, busy in terms of you know infrastructure mm -hmm. for virtualization. Now we have four data centers, and these four data centers are supporting nearly six hundred different applications uh, from pre-built capabilities. So this environment actually left us to have a unique type of IP that we could leverage and extend to the service provider community. So to give an example, we have network, but we also have cloud virtual 
virtualization, security, IoT is a strong uh, play as well. We've been talking about 5G network slicing here in this conference quite a lot, but uh, one of the key things that we're hearing from our customers is how we can actually materialize these uh, technologies in terms of end use cases, right? How can I take this IoT solution and play, create a play for the oil and gas industry or for the manufacturing? or for retail and hospitality, they will not have this extra reach in terms of uh, creating so many different use cases which will consume the IoT platforms and the 5G platforms they're leveraging. So working with a service prov uh, with, together with the service provider community, but when, uh, within an SI, it means that we can not only support them and analyzing these different platforms in terms of uh, virtualized, virtualized applications in the NFV Play, point mm -hmm. one. Point, point two is how can we actually, because of our knowledge and understanding of that verticalized market, create an angle in which they can create unique products and solutions. I think that's where we've been, at least in the European market in particular, most engaged with because they actually lack a little bit of this uh, um, less mile support in terms mm -hmm. of materializing these end use cases. When you look at um, the wealth of ecosystem to draw upon in terms of delivering best of breed solutions uh, to your clients. What is the process by which you guys take a look at what you should be bringing into your advanced technology center and how you're identifying those unique use cases that are going to be suited for any particular customer or a particular vertical? Well, um, it, it's it's not an easy um, um, thing to achieve because, it, as you can imagine, we are a, a very uh, big organization and we have over now a hundred different OEMs as part of the ecosystem. So uh, it's very common that we see OEMs knocking our doors or startups knocking our doors and say, well, can you host this application for us? Because we will have the answers to all the problems of the community. Mm -hmm. and so host this application here. So we see this huge pressure from, from a number of different OEMs in terms of having this technology in the Advanced Technology Center. Um, but, but despite of that, we have a very rigorous way to implement these technologies. And just to give a sense of the scalability of this environment, we change equipment every two weeks. Every wow. two weeks, there will be in the data center a new technology every year will replenish a huge amount of devices from the large telcos because they will actually ask us to have this technology implemented. So navigating this is not easy, but um, we would say we work very closely with our key OEM and partners. We work very closely with what our customers are asking for and our customers are our telcos. Mm -hmm. And what they want is paramount to actually uh, um, you know, decide on whether or not this technology will be implemented. Uh, and, and, um, but not necessarily what they ask is what they need. So um, it's a very common term we see design thinking sessions uh, we, in WWT we call ideation uh, so we work also with our business innovation community which is the ideation team um, to work with those uh, um, telco uh, key leaders to understand what the technology they want and then go to sp step in process to actually implement this technology in the ATC and uh, j just wrap up on this, the, the process in which we can create this proof of concepts, it's, uh, if it's already published in the ATC, um, we have in 20 seconds I can give an environment to a customer to play. If it's something very bespoke and complex, um, it should take three weeks at most to have everything implemented and, and, and delivered. And that's because we already have all the automation tools, peoples and process and an environment which is fully dedicated to proof of concept and customer education. That's actually accelerated us a lot into materializing this proof of concepts to our community. Now, WWT has a history of uh, very deep innovation with Intel um, and in many um, environments in, in terms of the business scope. But what is the uh, 
process by which uh, you guys have worked with Intel in the network arena? Okay, um, well, so, so because of virtualization disaggregation, which is a key topic across the industry mm -hmm. and a key topic that our customers are asking, uh, creating a shared platform that we can leverage technology is, is, you know, it's key for us to deliver the message in which um, our customers are asking us to deliver. So working with Intel is, is, is very key. So right now we, are, uh, ha we have three different uh, NFV uh, deployments in the HTC. On top of best spoke proof of concepts for specific mm -hmm. customer validations, and all of them we have uh, Intel. Intel, I think it's ninety-five uh, percent of all, everything that we have in the HTC is, is there is an Intel chip in it. So having uh, the experience and the partnership with Intel is is very important. That's one point. The other point is it's being discussed a lot about in this forum uh, about NFV orchestration and automation um, and the different tools available. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing that's also being discussed here and the angle that we bring with Intel is um, you can use CPUs to an extent, right? So um, the, there is this navigation between ASICs and, and CPUs and where you know the network function should reside as part of acceleration. Uh, we see many customers in the clouds asking or delivering, better say, uh, 25 gigabits per second throughput on VMs. That's not achievable with you know standard CPU technology. You need FPGAs. You need you know deep integration with the PDKs that Intel delivers. So the HSC is this best in place location in which we can receive this uh, you know um, network smart NICs from from Intel, working with the DPDK community and with the OEMs in terms mm -hmm. of the VNFs and making sure that they have the best and safe environment in which they can test this val and, and validate these technologies. I think that's where we've been working most closely with Intel recently is to enable the throughput that the telcos are asking for that will be scaled out through uh, NFE and orchestration, but at the same time, you know, delivering on a per device performance base, you know, everything that this equipment can deliver through, you know, DPDKs and FPGAs. That's fantastic. Um, now, when you were at the Congress this week, tell me about what you're hearing from providers in terms of um, their readiness for broad scale deployments and what you've experienced um, within the a ATC itself, and, and where do you think the market is right now in terms of the evolution of this technology? What's next? Yeah, so um, we, we've been hearing a number of things in this uh, in this place, and I, I think it's uh, the key thing that I, I hear the most is collaboration. Because if you don't collaborate, you actually cannot deliver the technology. The industry has been for 20 plus years uh, working a siloed version of, of uh, the network function. You, you work with an OEM, this OEM will deliver everything they need, and, and that's it. That's how we've been playing. And slowly but surely, we've been migrating to this more, you know, virtualized uh, and, and cloud-based telco, which is, you know, different different OEMs and different, uh, sorry, different um, service providers are calling themselves digital telcos or, um, you know, mm -hmm. software-defined telcos. And it's always with the sense of, you know, um, uh, uh, delivering an IT uh, an IT angle to the, the to the community. Um, so what what we've been seeing a lot here today is uh, uh, the lack of uh, skills. Mm -hmm. It's a key thing. Um, so how we can actually create an environment in in these skill sets are en enhanced. I just heard in you know, Orange in the keynote session that they are forecasting fifty thousand people to be retrained in their own organization. Dutch Telecom was talking about the number of nearly thirty thousand. So it is big numbers. It, you know, training all these people to to cope with what's coming next. It's not only just from an operational standpoint, but also from a, an IT delivery, from a product design. How you design products that support the new technologies. It, it, it's so it's not not just you know, okay, we have an NFV architecture here and, uh, you know, there will be a community of operational teams who will deploy on this. It's, it's from sales, how you sell, you know, down to how you can create products, now mm -hmm. how, how you can operate. So it's, it's very broad. And I think the angle that WWT can bring into this equation is um, 
nearly 25% of our labs today are for customer education, right? 100% of what's inside the agency today for service provider or for enterprise customers are for customer education. We don't have any production environment there. Mm -hmm. That being said, we have uh, um, uh, constantly educating our customers through that process. So I think there's a huge play of early experimentation and early prototyping of those solutions in this environment and supporting the community, not only from a technical perspective, but also from a product development perspective. How can they get the best technology and the best messaging together? I think WWT has a very strong play on the skill set development. Uh, and, and the other thing that I'm also seeing quite a lot here from the OEM play is, well, um, before you had everything from the same provider. So if something goes wrong, you call, you know, this OEM A or the OEM B and will tell, well, fix it because you have, you know, a, a support maintenance contract with them. You know, it have 24 by 7 or next business day. Mm -hmm. And that's how kind of it all happened to work uh, since, since today. Now we're working towards this white box solution and white boxes fundamentally, you know, you buy loads of them and if it fails, it fails, you're just going to replenish it. It's a different mindset. Still, the telcos are not equipped with the right operational processes to really, really cope with that change. And we're seeing a lot of asks for uh, how can you actually support the end-to-end -end delivery mm -hmm. from, uh, you know, idea and the concept design down to, okay, I need all those boxes to be fully functional. And if something breaks, my customer will need some sort of sparing with the right environment, with firmware, ecosystem, software validation, pre-built to deliver to the next business day. So... WWT has a very unique mindset towards that. It's idea to outcome. How can we ideate with the customer design thinking down to, okay, you need those boxes tomorrow mm -hmm. and we need to make sure that we have a supply chain to support you. And we, we think with this in the community. Danielle, it's been wonderful talking to you. Um, one of the things that I'm struck by is just the the need for speed and moving forward and you've you've really painted a, a great picture in terms of addressing from just getting operators hands um wet with the technology getting staff spun up thinking about it from a complete picture of you know everything from sales all the way through the the back end of the business if folks want to engage with WWT and talk about this further, where would you send them for more information to engage with you and your team? Well, uh, our website has a lot of information, so www.wwt.com. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, also my, you know, my contact details, I think, will be shared as part of this podcast. You can reach out to me, daniel.valley at www.wt.com. Uh, and, and we'll be very happy to support you on your journey. Um, we, we've been uh, um, very successful in speed and scale. On, on that sense of, you know, early experimentation to execution. And I'll be more than happy to, to continue the conversation with them. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on the program today. Thank it you. was a real pleasure. Thank you. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein, and we're coming to you from the SDN NFE World Congress mm -hmm. in The Hague. And I'm delighted to be joined by Jean Singh, VP and GM of Telecom Applications Business Unit at Lanner. Mm -hmm. Welcome. Okay. Yeah, it's my pleasure to uh, join this uh, chatting. So um, this is the first time that Lanner, I believe, has been on Chip Chat. Can yes. you just um, give us um, some background on the company and your role at the company? Okay. So Lanner has been in the uh, IPC industry, many uh, focused on uh, ODM business. And in the last uh, 15 years, 
company do a great job uh, providing uh, 86 base uh, Intel solution for the entire network security industry. So they have been uh, uh, one of the leading uh, network appliance uh, supply to most of the leading uh, network security vendor for the 86 computers. And about three years ago, uh, I joined. Mm -hmm. uh, from uh, my previous job is uh, Actiolution, and I've been in the service provider telecom industry for about 28 years. And I found out that um, uh, one of the great things is uh, about uh, service provider network transformation, leveraging the software-defined network and network function virtualization. So we start uh, the business unit called telecom application business unit mm -hmm. that is uh, proactively joined the entire ecosystem to work with a service provider for such a, a transformation. And we uh, contribute a lot on the POC mm -hmm. together with uh, the ecosystem partner. Uh, primarily, they are with the virtual CP platform, the OpenStack uh, platforms, and also the SD1 applications. And starting from this year, uh, they are quite good uh, results showing that uh, the uh, SD1 application do uh, wrap up uh, not only from uh, service providers, but also uh, is quite accepted uh, and uh, uh, in the CIO from in different uh, industry in uh, enterprise sectors, uh, they all ran up to uh, XKIN for uh, SD1 solutions. Yeah. yeah, it seems like uh, SD1 <coughs> has been a really hot topic at SDN NFE World Congress as well yeah. this week. Um, why do you think there is such a focus on SD1 as a targeted application from the service provider industry now? Okay, um, because uh, uh, service provider they are doing uh, network transmission using uh, SDN, and SD1 is part of uh, the portfolio using the same technology, but more focus on. Uh, uh, recapping uh, the uh, the router for mm -hmm. both uh, uh, headquarter office uh, and the branch office uh, networking for the uh, enterprise, and it do uh, reduce overall capex and opec in terms of the uh, entire uh, network connectivities. And to service provider, it's a new reference stream to them because in the past uh, they only focus doing the bandwidth setting and the circuit setting, and to offer SD1 as part of their portfolio as an integrated solution in addition to the bandwidth is a uh, uh, new revenue uh, generators. Mm -hmm. So uh, service provider, uh, whether they are in different uh, geography in different countries, starting from North America, uh, those are tier one, they are introducing this uh, service starting from last year. So uh, uh, the others, they don't offer the same SD1 to enterprise, uh, mm -hmm. sometimes will be facing a challenge from the market. Yeah, so mm -hmm. this can make uh, the SD1 become uh, one of the hardest application and use case. Now, obviously, SD1 has um, ushered in uh, the focus on uh, universal customer presence equipment or UCPE. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Leonard made some interesting um, news recently mm -hmm. about a new Intel Select solution yes. uh, for uh, UCPE. Tell me about um, the configuration that you've assembled and why you decided to bring this to market now. Okay. So in, as I mentioned in the past year, we do actively participate in uh, 
POC, field try, and some uh, service launch together with a service provider and uh, uh, the software ecosystem partner. And starting from a very entry, like a Rangeley-based uh, platform, uh, they do show some advantage. But however, mm -hmm. if customer, they're urging for more uh, core count, uh, they definitely uh, should go to a Xeong D-based solution. And Skylake D is a new uh, platform uh, announced by Intel, uh, I think, in... Uh, I think in probably beginning of the year. That's correct. And <laughs> it is <laughs> ideal platform because it offer more CPU core count. And also uh, in our design, we integrate uh, switch together with, uh, with uh, the Mac controller uh, provided by uh, Intel. So it offer higher speed in terms of uh, network connectivities. Mm -hmm. And more uh, ports and the performance enhancement that make sure that uh, this uh, uh, NCA 4020 uh, is an ideal platform for middle range enterprise as well as the, the corporate network uh, router. I think you're also uh, within that uh, configuration mm -hmm. utilizing the Intel Quick Assist technology mm -hmm. for improved performance. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And it does shows. Uh, uh, the difference whether uh, the system uh, running, uh, whether it's an open uh, virtual switch or uh, open stack uh, VNF, uh, across the, uh, when the system are in power by the QAT uh, provided by Intel, uh, it do a significant improve uh, the system performance. Yeah. So in our booth, uh, in this uh, SDN, uh, Congress, uh, we do have uh, a real demo showing that a system with a QAT enable and without QAT, and they are significantly improved. Very cool. Yeah. Um, I know that you announced the solution a couple of weeks ago in yes. a conference in Denver. Um, what has the customer response been to this platform, and where are you seeing traction in terms of um, customer interest? Okay. Uh, those are interests are many. Uh, starting from uh, those uh, uh, VNF vendors, and they're looking for a higher uh, bandwidth and a cost-effective uh, platform for the high-end, uh, middle to high-end position. And so uh, while we uh, launched uh, three weeks ago, uh, we received uh, quite a lot of inquiry from those uh, vendors looking for sample uh, mm -hmm. for uh, some showcase. And I think uh, uh, starting from uh, this month, uh, uh, some of our uh, field sales team, they also receive uh, inquiry from a service provider. So That's we're great. looking for some uh, good outcome uh, by end of the year. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, how does uh, the focus on SD-WAN and UCPE mm -hmm. extend into Lanner's broader focus mm -hmm. uh, for engaging with the NFVI community? Okay. Yeah, so this is uh, uh, we call uh, from uh, A to A plus uh, process uh, to uh, enhance the uh, overall time to market, not only from service provider perspective, but also for those uh, VNF vendors, because uh, we have some uh, earlier engagement on the joint validation, on hardware side and software side. 
So uh, the overall uh, engagement with uh, those uh, uh, 20s uh, NFVI mm-hmm. vendors and also the VNF vendors to uh, showing the uh, uh, the power of the community that we do have the ability to make things happen faster than uh, customer expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, Jane, thank you so much for sharing this exciting news with mm-hmm. us. Um, congratulations on the Intel Select Solution. It's an exciting configuration, especially with the performance enhancements that you've yep. built into that solution. Um, one final question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, if folks are listening online, they want to engage with Lanner on either delivering a solution to market mm-hmm. or um, working with you on a, a deployment, mm-hmm. where would you send them for more information? Okay, so uh, for customer, they are interested to de- figure out uh, more information on Lanner's portfolio uh, in this uh, UCP space. Uh, it is uh, welcome to uh, visit our website at www. L-A-N-N-E-R-I-N-C-Lennerinc.com. Yeah, we will have uh, more information and uh, some showcase. Fantastic. Thank you for being with us today. Okay. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Welcome to Chip Chat Network Insights. My name is Allison Klein. We're coming to you from SDN NFE World Congress in The Hague. And I'm delighted to be joined by Hussein Kazal, VP of Marketing and Partnerships with Nuage Networks from Nokia. Thank you. Welcome, Hussein. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. So why don't we just start with uh, a description of Nuage and, and what your role is in guiding this business for Nokia. Great. Thank you. Um, well, Nuage is a venture of Nokia. Mm-hmm. Uh, focused on virtualizing uh, networks for our customers. Our customers could be service providers that are trying to build private clouds or public clouds uh, or enterprises trying to do more automation and use SDN um, to secure the network. And we basically take advantage of x86 hardware um, in terms of CPEs in remote sites, um, regular servers in the data center, and then build intelligence and software to deliver uh, networking performance that these uh, customers want, um, adding security capabilities, um, a layer of automation, network automation that allows them to um, deal with the mixed uh, workload environment that they have, containers, virtual machines, bare metal servers, uh, regardless of where those workloads are. It could be public cloud, private cloud, and uh, remote sites, and we provide them that single fabric of automation, network automation, that it al- allows them to do that connectivity all in software. You know, it's interesting. Um, Nokia obviously has tremendous history uh, with network infrastructure and, and delivery of networking solutions. Um, one question that I had for you after talking to a number of executives at the show this week is where you thought providers were with automating workloads and, and utilizing solutions like Nuage to actually deliver that full automation promise of um, virtualized networks? Great question. And this has been going on for multiple years. And I think um, automation means different things to different people. And what we've seen recently, and a good example of that application of network automation is the SD-WAN. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of um, 
enterprises today, when they connect their remote sites and then they want to consume uh, applications in cloud, it takes them weeks and months to set up a site. Um, making a change to their configuration takes weeks and months. Um, and providing the intelligence and the software to be able for those customers to basically on demand uh, bring up a site, May, basically similar to your AWS experience, similar to ordering. You would order a CPE um, device, it would come to you, you'd plug into power and it connected to the internet mm -hmm. and then it automatically self-provisions, connects to the rest of the network and you have a portal to basically modify this configuration. So it's a reality that a lot of these service providers are um, taking advantage of to kind of offer these enterprises new services beyond connectivity. Mm -hmm. So initially, they would basically, I will be your connectivity provider. But they're looking at network automation in the form of SD-WAN as a way to not only connect them, but also be able to offer them more services quickly mm -hmm. and at, at a much lower operational cost. So they don't have to send a technician to site. Um, they, the customer can basically make the modification themselves. Um, and this is kind of the reason why a lot of these service providers, if, if you in the past year or so, have rolled out these SD-WAN services to enterprise. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the data center, a lot of these enterprises, they're trying to create um, environments for their developers to develop applications much faster than it did before. Um, compute was virtualized uh, years ago, and uh, networking didn't really follow uh, right. quickly in that. Um, and SDN brought the ability to configure networking along with compute. So these developers can, um, in their agile framework, develop, um, develop things quickly, deploy them, test them quickly, and then iterate. And then when it's ready, they can easily push it to production. And that's tremendous savings in operations for them and ability to serve their end customers with better products. So those enter on the enterprise side, they're able to fulfill um, this the, the requirements of this agile develop mechanism faster. Mm -hmm. And for service providers, it's a way for them to um, upsell these enterprise and new services and grow their business. And that's a reality today. Uh, that's enabled by this uh, network automation. Yeah, when you were talking, um, the last point was what really was resonating in my mind is that this delivers an opportunity uh, for providers to deliver new services, new revenue streams, without requiring a se separate piece of equipment to be deployed. Exactly. And um, that really is a game changer in terms of being able to be nimble and um, effective in terms of delivering services to the point of the customer um, in real time. That's exactly it. I mean, the, these customers want enterprises. They're looking to focus on their core business. Their core business is not building a network and operating it. They're mm -hmm. either a retailer or a financial services company or healthcare. Um, and and um, the ability to um, kind of focus on their core business and, and let the service provider um, deal with that, um, for example, for SD-WAN, or um, simplifying the network, the operation of the network and IT services to the extent that you know they don't have to invest a lot in terms of resources is great. And Nokia, from a, uh, an enablement perspective, is able to offer them not just the networking piece, but then they have the hardware piece with airframe, for example, servers, um, orchestration, professional services, support. So all of the, the things that they would need to put these things in production, it's good to look at technology as, as a way to, yes, I can do this one thing, but then you may need two or three other things and being able to 
have a, somebody like Nokia working with Intel, for example, to optimize uh, on the hardware side that mm -hmm. they're using and get the most performance out of them. Um, working with like Red Hat, for example, on some of the software pieces. So being able to uh, work together with multiple vendors to help these enterprises get the most out of the software hardware that they buy enable. Now, you said that this is solutions that are being deployed today, and yeah. I think that we're in the midst of that deployment. Um, where do you think um, we hit the point where this, the vast majority of customers are enjoying these types of services? And what is the challenge from the um, provider industry yeah. in terms of getting there? I think last year it was still everybody was in the evaluation phase where enterprises are not sure what this like is going to do for them, specifically for SD-WAN. Data center started a couple of years before, but it was the same stage. Early on, the enterprise are not sure what to do with technology. Vendors are still trying to figure out what, what, how they can make money out of it. And then service providers are hesitant because they already have a lot of these um, you know, MPLS circuits, IPVPN that are in service. Mm -hmm. um, this year, we see a lot of them have things in production, early pilots, early in the year. Um, enterprises know what they we, what they need, so mm -hmm. they can basically be able to decide what's a good fit for them or not. So I imagine next year would probably a year where you'll see a lot of this adoption increases, just because enterprises know what they want mm -hmm. and how to pick and choose what's best for them. Service providers have um, kind of uh, built. Obviously, service providers, they have a lot of things going for them. You know, it's one thing to say that you have a technology that will be fast, and but there's a lot of operational complexities in how mm -hmm. they sell, how they support. Um, and I think this year, they were a lot of them were building up that. Uh, and now they started with pilots. We have, for example, from our side, we have 400 enterprises already on the service. Um, and we expect that number to exponentially grow in terms of adoption of enterprise of these SD-WAN. In the data center, we see a lot of these service providers doing telco clouds. Mm -hmm. um, so like 3UK is an example. A lot of them, they're building these clouds to host uh, VNFs mm -hmm. and be able to, to automate at a much bigger scale. Um, that's probably going to continue to grow. So yes, next year I think would be a year where we'll see a lot of these um, enterprises looking at SD-WAN as something just, uh, you know, that's there, uh, ready to go, and then they can order it. And and now um, it becomes more about the complexity and, and holistic um, delivery of VNFs within these solutions. Exactly. I mean, the uh, we're thinking, of, for example, SDN is a technology that provides you with a platform that's flexible, uh, that scales. Uh, and then how you use it is where kind of, once it's deployed, then you can take advantage of it in different ways. And SD-WAN is more of a platform to not only connect sites, but be able to offer them value-add service, connectivity to public cloud, managed security uh, services. Um, so I think what's going to happen is that once you have this platform operational and you have customers on it, then people will be more creative in how do I make the most out of it. Mm -hmm. um, that makes perfect sense. Now... Nuage is obviously uh, delivering a, a host of capabilities. Where um, do you see Nuage uh, being developed moving forward? There are three areas that we are kind of focusing, and those are aligned with kind of what our enterprise customers are asking for. The first one is being able to deliver this platform in a multi-cloud environment, which mm -hmm. is a reality. It's no longer just a data center or public cloud. It's all of all of those. 
Um, the second one is value-add services, so increasing the number of uh, partners that we have. Obviously, we have all the security vendors, Palo Alto, Fortinet, Checkpoint, mm-hmm. F5. Um, one optimization we have in Vista. we're looking to grow that. We have some Zscaler integrations, so grow those partners that offer mm-hmm. uh, value-add services that we connect with. The third one, which is critical, is security. So the way they looked at security before was as separate from networking. You do networking and then you do security. Mm-hmm. Our view is that you should be uh, looking at them together. Um, while we're not a security company, we're a networking company, but we have enough hooks and integration with security solutions mm-hmm. to offer these enterprise customers comprehensive solutions. So these three areas of focus will be will continue to be where in multi-cloud, we're looking at more things in public cloud and add AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud in terms of more capabilities there. Mm-hmm. Value-add services, more, more partners, like I said, and integrations. Um, and the third one is security, is trying to um, share more in terms of analytics sure. um, and end-to-end visibility over what we already have. That's fantastic. Um, obviously, um, you mentioned earlier the great collaboration that Nokia also has with Intel in terms of marrying that software with hardware. Why is that important? Obviously, Intel is, uh, there's no bigger name in, in kind of that uh, uh, from a uh, processing perspective from a, a network um, uh, NIC um, capabilities. And for us, as a software product without running on proprietary hardware, it's important to make the most out of this hardware. And we're working with Intel on how can we push the limit of performance. Uh, a lot of these um, x86 devices, they're you know over-the-shelf uh chipsets and working with Intel enables us, for example, on Quick Assist, for example. It's a feature that allows us to push performance to close to line rate, make use of the, the cores that are available, which is important for us because uh, we're trying to do networking on that x86 mm-hmm. device. And usually networking was on proprietary hardware with ASICs, which is the case in a lot of networking um, kind of routers and, and switches. Uh, but when you're talking about SDN, um, being able to reach line rate using x86 boxes is not a trivial task, right? You mm-hmm. have to be very efficient in the code that you develop. And working with Intel has enabled us to, on these newer platforms that are pushing out, to be able to pre-qualify our v- VNF, which is the VCPE, um, using their optimization tools and then be able to deliver that to our customers. So that collaboration helps us from two fronts, on the technology side and the innovation, being mm-hmm. able to build in the product, but also on the co-marketing and kind of working together assures our customers that they're getting kind of the best of both worlds, right? Intel experience with Nokia's experience and be able to deliver something together. Hussein, thank you for being on the program today. It's been a real pleasure. One final question for you. Um, I'm sure that folks are interested in Nuage and, and seeing um, what this kind of solution can deliver uh, for their challenges, where can folks find more information about what you're delivering to the market? Thanks, Allison. Uh, www.nuagenetworks.net is a very good place to start. Um, there's also www.nokia.com. So both uh, websites have plenty of information about what we do from an SDM perspective, orchestration, and, and airframe. So that'll be a good get start. And then there's a contact us on those websites. You can reach out to the sales team. I'll be more happy to. to Super. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Alice.